0: Thank you for joining us on our journey here to preserve the history of mixed martial arts. When I wanted to take on this project, I needed help. I brought in one of my favorite matchmakers,
1: Miguel Iterate, and the MMA detective, Mike Davis.
2: So to do this, we've been able to preserve history. Welcome and enjoy. Hey, Miguel Iterate, back here on the Lights Out podcast. Chris Lytle, hopefully on the way, but uh, the boss is off in bare knuckle land. And uh, Mike and I, the MMA detective, Mike Davis, we are tasked with another deep dive, and we've got a fascinating one, uh, something we don't often get to do, an active fighter, uh, you know, just adds to the fun of the interview, and we got Neil Magny, who uh, fights out of Chicago, but is originally a New Yorker. Neil, how you doing? I'm doing great, man. How are you guys doing? Very glad to have you. Mike, uh, I know you booked him, so I'm going to let you take over. (laughs) <laughs> you, you and Miguel are from New York. How long, how long were you there until
1: you moved to northwest Indiana?
0: Um, so I spent like uh, the first, I guess, third of my life now. Geez, being older. <laughs> the first third of my life uh, in New York City. So I lived there until I was like 12, 13 years old or so. Uh, then moved to the south suburbs of Chicago.
1: Okay, what south suburb of Chicago did you move to?
0: Uh, so at the time, my grandma was living in uh, South Holland, Illinois. Uh, so, I moved to New York City to uh, go to my grandmother, spent some time her there.
1: Okay, so about 12, 13 years. So, you did high school.
0: Where at? Yeah, so I went to uh, Thorwood High School over in South Holland, Illinois. Uh, at, immediately at the high school, left for the Army, came back, uh, went to school down at SIUE down in uh, Southern Illinois. Okay, so did you wrestle in high school? Yeah, so I wrestled in high school, wrestled one year in college. And then uh, at that point, I was like, nah, forget this, I'm ready to fight. <laughs> it was pretty locked nice. in, And like, uh like, uh, wrestling for me was over at that point, right? So I got to uh, college wrestling.
1: Okay, but you did seven years in the military. See, like, your story is, it's interesting, but it's not really put together. Like, uh, <laughs> so you did, did seven yeah, years in the military, was- correct?
0: Yes. Yeah, the seven years in the military. Uh, spent... Three years down at SIUE. Uh, I was able to graduate and uh, move on from there. Uh, moved back up north by uh, near Chicago to try to be on Chicago Police Academy uh, and then had opportunity to go out to the Ultimate Fighter and it was pretty much history from there.
1: So it's either the Ultimate Fighter or CPD. Obviously, you made the right move. Okay.
2: <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so, like, so, but you're 13 years old. You know, you're from Flatbush and Brooklyn, right? Yeah. Okay, so, you know, you probably went to the Midwest, you know, probably had a family member taking care of you, getting you out of the, you know, New York, you know, hood kind of thing, and taking you out there. A lot of street fights. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that transition when you were young?
0: <laughs> uh, surprisingly, it wasn't as many as you would think My mom was... Uh uh she was pretty big on trying to keep us sheltered like she knew what New York City was like so for her it was like uh for us to keep for us to stay safe quote-unquote was to keep us in the house so like my mom did whatever it took to keep me and my brothers in the house and uh just off the street so to speak um so like literally when she would go off to work what she had to do uh she would pretty much tried to make sure we were like in the house 24 7. um but with that being said I grew up with four brothers and little sisters so uh plenty of rough house on inside the house as well.
2: Nice. I think we found another a superhero here. We got Neil Magny. You know mama. for sure. <laughs> so Neil,
1: Neil, you also hung out in Northwest Indiana quite a bit. You went to Miguel Torres' gym. Is it the first
0: gym you went to? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, being in Thorpe High School, like, North, like for like the guys that don't know uh, Northwest Indiana and like uh, the South Side of Chicago, literally like a 15 minute drive from one another. Like um, I can literally cross over to Indiana within a few minutes of driving or whatever. Uh, so my junior year of high school. Uh, my football coach had gotten us uh, uh, a membership at World's Gym for us to go ahead and lift, like, lift weights under the summer and that kind of thing to stay active. Um, and during that time, Miguel Soares was renting studio space out of that World's Gym uh, to run his martial arts program. Um, and I remember walking in there a few times and, like, looking over, like, man, what are those guys doing? It looks kind of fun. Uh, but I never really, like, jumped into it right away and finally after about a week or two like man i'm gonna try it out so i remember walking in there just kind of like um poking around asking questions like uh so what is it you guys are doing what's going on here and he explains to me that he was running a a jiu-jitsu program and and a kickboxing program and that he was a mixed martial arts fighter it's like that sounds amazing. I think I want to uh, partake in this. Um, so that was my first introduction to uh, uh, like mixed martial arts, jiu-jitsu, and that kind of thing. Uh, so Miguel kind of let me stop in, take a couple of classes um, that while he was at Rose Gym. And I kind of like started my uh, my journey for martial arts, so to speak. Um, and it just kept kind of going back, going back, going back. Um, and by the time I was uh, getting ready to graduate high school to move on, it was something I was really, really passionate about pursuing. And as I started doing it more and more, I... Got good at it. So like, all right, screw it. Why not? (laughs) Let's go to see how far I can take it.
2: So
1: in Northwest Indiana, there was also some like backyard fighting, crazy boys fight team. And I know you socialized with a couple of them. Did you ever partake in the backyard fights?
0: no i couldn't <laughs> yeah i couldn't i mean i was uh i was so involved with sports at the time like when I, like especially in high school like i was literally year-round athlete i would go from uh football to try i'm sorry football to wrestling to try year-round uh so as much as i would love to have partaking like some of the uh backyard bras that they were doing back then uh i kind of had to like go stay healthy uh in order to compete on the uh, high school sports teams <laughs>
1: So Miguel, it was like the first like glimpse of viral backyard fighting. It was all <laughs> organized. We had a champion. They had, I mean, they wore gloves. I mean, it was it was pretty wild.
2: Yeah. All right. So you know, you know what's a pretty cool thing too, though, is like, you know, you're at Goals Gym, you know, lifting weights for you know football. I imagine you're like a wide receiver or something like that, right? Yeah, wide receiver tight end. <laughs> so You know, you're doing your thing in there, you get interested, and it it so happens to be Miguel Torres, that's not a bad first introduction to the sport, you know what I mean? Talk a little bit about Miguel, like how, because he's a little guy, but he had an impression at some point, so why don't we give him a little, take a minute and give him some props.
0: Yeah, man. Like, uh, everything about Miguel was just intriguing. Just, like, knowing his backstory from coming up in East Chicago uh, and, like, seeing how he took care of his family and people around him, that kind of thing, uh, was super motivating for me. And then, like, um, to see the love of success that he's gotten over the years uh, was definitely motivating as well. Like, when I was training with Miguel and the guys at his gym, uh, at the one point, Miguel was among the list for pound-to-pound pound, pound best guys in the world. I mean, the guy was, uh, at one point, like, and or something like that. Like, he was amazing um, when it came to mixed martial arts. And being a smaller guy, um, you see him go out there and just, like, do his thing. And it wasn't... He was the most athletic. He wasn't the strongest. He wasn't the, uh, like, the, the most, like skilled in the sense that like he would have this natural talent but the guy was just so hard working that he'll go out there and earn whatever he got. So when you see him work his way through the um uh the regional circuit and make his way to WC uh to become a world champion that kind of thing. Um it, it wasn't anything it wasn't luck by any means. It was him actually uh putting his feet to the praying payment day by day and just kind of uh grinding it out and making it happen. And uh for me that was motivating because like um like in football wasn't necessarily the fastest but I was always showing sure up ready to work uh and had the ambition to win. Uh, uh, so seeing a guy like Miguel Torres make it as far as he did uh, come from Chicago, uh, Indiana, I was like, cool, if he can make it. I can definitely make it as well. Uh, so I was definitely motivated by your back there for me early on. Cool.
1: You, your fight career. All right. So for those of you guys that don't know Miguel, you know, or in terms of having business dealings with him, he will not let somebody fight unless like he gives a seal of approval on them. And his seal of approval is one of the most difficult things to get. Like it's, it's almost like a decent kind of weathered pro fighter. Like that type of you know, ability is where he expects you to be your first amateur fight. Like it is, it's not an easy process to cross over to the fight team, which brings your first fight. Like i kept getting a lot of questions about this. August 7th, 2010, you're at C3 fights in Newkirk. Uh, Oklahoma against Noland Norwood. Were you with Torres at this time? Were you living somewhere else?
0: So during that time, I was actually living in uh, Southern Illinois. I was going to school at SIUE, um, and during that time, I was also training at uh, at his squad. Uh, so what I was doing is when I was down there, I was training at his squad pretty much Monday through Thursday and then Friday I didn't have classes so Friday I pretty much take a train back at to Chicago and uh be back at my grandma's house and that kind of thing um and I'll go back and train Miguel pretty much Friday Saturday Sunday kind of thing and then hop on a train on Sunday go back down to school uh again uh, Monday through Thursday and then like I'll be home all throughout the summer uh I'll train Miguel the guys up there again um so like I had like this uh, this dual citizenship, so to speak, where I was, like, part of his squad, but I was also part of uh, uh, Miguel Souris' gym as well. Uh, so I was, like, I was, it was actually pretty fortunate because, like, uh, training his squad and training Miguel, they couldn't be any more of the opposite. Like, you look at a guy like Matt Hughes, he's all about, like, Closing the distance, getting the fight to the ground, doing ground and pound and controlling your opponent from the top. You new guy like Miguel, the guy is a um, guy that's going to take risks standing up as far as, like, um, doing these these crazy strikes, getting into these firefights on the feet. Um, and if you happen to take him down from on his back, he's still going to fight and probably finish you or, or, or beat you up pretty good from his back. So um, getting this perspective of, like, all right, how do I fight from my back? How do I fight from uh, the top position from both Matthews and Miguel Soros kind of moving to this, like, uh, like five I have to do both, so to speak. Like, I, I was comfortable where the fight went. If I can go out there and push a face against my opponent, bring him to the bat, I'd find a way to win. If I were to go against a wrestler and he put me on my back, I'll find a way to win. Um, so I was kind of fortunate to get that that skill set training where I got uh, um, both perspectives on, on how to compete in mixed martial arts.
1: So you were taking fights with like Mark Fiore and his squad, then, correct?
0: Yeah, yeah, I was able fight with Mike Fiore and his squad, and I'll come back to uh Chicago. But hey, we got a about on this. It looked like, bro, you have to wait and fight for me. But like, I know, but I'm really eager to fight in there. Um, so, like, I mean, he, he didn't like the fact that I, like, bump with him sometimes because he... And it wasn't because he was, like, uh, doing malicious He was just a guy that cured so much. He didn't want you to, like, um, take matchups or take fights that, like, you weren't prepared for, you weren't trained for. So he wanted to, like, kind of have, like, uh, a washable eye, resource me speak. But at that time, I mean, uh, 19, 20 years old, 20 years old, like, I was so eager um, to get to the point that he was at, that I was willing to take whatever fight he took to get there. Um, and sometimes it probably wasn't the best decision, but I was willing to do it.
1: So with Nolan Norwood, when you walked into the arena that day, did you think that from here this point on, this is what your life is going to revolve around for the next 20 years?
0: Um. So for me, the biggest uh, chain of point for me where I realized, like, all right, cool, I can do it, make out of this. Um, I was fortunate to turn to the guys that a hit squad. And, oh, I'm sorry, at, at Miguel's gym. But going down to hit squad, there are guys that are already in the UFC that are competing in the UFC actively or in strike force at time. So I had guys like uh, Matt Beach, uh, Brian Foster, Matt Hughes, uh, Robbie Lawler, like all these guys who are like seasoned vets in, uh, in mixed martial arts and fight for these big organizations. Uh, Houston Alexander, guys like that. And I can remember when I first walked into that gym being a nice-year-old kid, like, even though I had some skill sets under me from being, uh, like, Trent Miguel for a couple of years and, like, uh, my Army Cavaliers experience all that other stuff, uh, even though I had some experience on my belt, these guys were literally whooping my ass when I walked into that gym. Um, so, like, the first year, it was just like, all right, cool. Like, I'm competitive against the guys that are, quote, unquote, my peers. Like, I can do well against the other amateurs. I can do well against the low-level pros. But these high-level pros that were already in the UFC, I was really struggling against those guys. So once it got to the point that I was getting competitive against those guys, I was like, oh, yeah. Have a chance of this. I can make a career out of the sport, um, and for me, it was all about like uh, uh, making a run for it, and making it happen. So I was willing to fight anyone, anywhere, anytime in order to get to UFC.
1: What do you remember about your first fight?
0: Um, not much, to be honest with you. Like, um, I remember it was down in uh, uh, Oklahoma somewhere, but like, um, it, for me, it was more so just checking the boxes. Like, uh, my first couple of fights for me were, um, it, it was just more so just checking a box. Like, I knew what I where I could be as far as being a, a, a fighter in the UFC. Uh, so for me, these fights weren't necessarily an opportunity for me to go out there and, like, uh, quote, unquote, get tested. It was more so just checking the box and or get where I wanted to go. Um, so I get, so for me, against the UFC, for example, um, I tried out the Ultimate fighter four times before I finally made it on there and um, got my chance to compete on the elsewhere fighter. Um, and each time they were like, you need more fights, you need more experience, you need more of this, you need more of that. Um, so when I would get that feedback from... Uh, the dead matchmaker uh joe silva and dana white like yeah you need this you need that it was more so up to me to go out there and get those things so me someone needed more experience like i didn't care who i was fighting or where i was fighting i would literally go to showdog.com look up upcoming events and email every single promoter um, that had an event coming up asking on their cards so whether it was oklahoma indiana wisconsin new york california i would literally email everyone trying to get on their cards just in order to get a fight get a win check the box off and get back and get to the UFC. That was my only concern. So as far as who the opponent was, as far as like their skill sets and things like that, I didn't even, I didn't think twice about it. I mean, to take a step further, there were some times where like, um, uh, because I was a reservist or active or uh, uh, a National Guard member, there were times where I had like my duty on the weekend where I had to like do military service on a, a Friday, Saturday, Sunday kind of thing. And I remember like having fights in like Wisconsin or something where I would literally go to duty on a Friday, uh, in, in my military uniform, do what I have to do that day, uh, drive to Wisconsin, weigh in, drive back that very same night uh, to, in order to be in formation next morning, like, 4 o'clock in the morning, uh, do what I have to do all days, as far as my military service cons- was concerned, uh, and immediately get off work, drive back to Wisconsin, fight, and then turn around and drive back to Illinois and be in formation on Sunday like nothing happened. Uh, so, for me, it was all about, like, pretty much checking the box and getting where I was trying to go.
1: All right, so your third fight, you beat uh, Nolan Norwood by armbar. You fight Nate Pratt, you go to a decision, and I'm, I'm with. I, at the time, I was doing an, a, an event called Cutthroat MMA, November six, two thousand ten. Miguel Torres says, "Hey, dude, I got this guy. He's green. He's green. He's got two fights. Uh, you know, why don't we give him a shot?" And on the other side, I've got you know Velcro Brazilian Jiu Jitsu that is. Obviously, a very esteemed jujitsu academy here in the Chicago area, and he's like, "Yeah, we got a guy, Lawrence Stunning, black belt. These are brown or black belts. They're like, you know, we can't get him fights. So nobody will fight him. And but we're not trying to get him killed." I said, "Well, Miguel Torres, he says he's got a green guy that's two and zero. Do you remember fighting uh, Lawrence Stunning?
0: Yeah, I remember that fight very good, It
1: Was your first time too?"
0: <laughs> yeah it was my first fight in like an area where like my close family friends could make it like uh i can remember like and it was at the hammond civic center too so like it was yeah. like literally right in my backyard so to speak um legendary. So first, legendary yeah that was the first time i actually had like close family and friends that were able to like make it to uh one of my fights so before then i was fighting in missouri fighting in oklahoma just it's all over the place so like for me it was just like oh wow I'll get the fight at home with the home team so to speak and even when I would uh, fight in Oklahoma and that kind of thing I was sure with the guys at his squad and, and on the road with those guys but it, it, it didn't feel like home necessarily it didn't feel like the guys that I started it wasn't the the, the close camaraderie that I had with guys like Miguel uh, Anthony Gomez uh, Bill Johnson all those guys like it didn't feel like my, my friends, my close family was there kind of thing. So uh for me fighting at the Hemisphere Center close to home was like one of the best fights that I've had. Like and they, I literally took the energy into the fight with me. So um going into the fight I knew like I said I knew he was a black belt, but there wasn't much film on or anything like that to uh pretty much game plan from there. Um and once we got into the cage I was just like Cool, Miguel's in my corner. Andres in my corner. My friends are here. My family are here. I'm gonna go out there and I'm gonna win. Um, and I literally remember just like <laughs> I, I literally threw everything at this guy. I threw some wrestling. I threw some jujitsu. I threw some ground and pop. I threw some striking. Like at the end of the fight, there's this picture. Where I remember his face just covered in blood. And this on top, is raining away. And it's just you see the look of defeat on his face. Just kind of like. I'm like please just end this fight dude. it's over with like i don't want to be here anymore um and that was probably one of my my best fights early on like i i, I really remember that moment that i experienced everything about it like even my little cousins were there um and i was one of the only fights they were ever able to go to of mine so that was definitely a great experience for me
1: so miguel you try not to you try to be as honest as possible so miguel torres tells me this guy's green Velko and Neil had a hellacious, like, just back and forth first round. And then, like, the last minute, Neil just kept getting stronger. And I remember, like, talking to whoever's next to me going, dude, this guy keeps getting stronger. Like, you know, like that that dump isn't happening. And in the second round, he puts Lawrence's nose on the other side of his head where – There's blood everywhere. And I'm just like, man, just give me the insurance form. Like, I don't – before he even left the ring, as the coach was leaving the ring, I handed him the insurance form because I knew, like, it was was, (laughs) – And then we were, like, paying the coach going, man, he told me he was green. And then, like, my matchmaker, I'm like, we got Miguel Torres. Like, his green guys are, like, you know, like purple brown belts.
2: Well, he, said it and he said it. He said it. He threw some jujitsu. He threw some wrestling. He threw some grounded pounding. He threw some striking. It's like, well, you know, not to simplify things, but what else is there? <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and that was the biggest thing is like just understanding, like, in me, circumference, like you can do those particular things. Like some guys go into fights, like, oh, I can only stand with this guy. He's a jujitsu guy. Where that fight against Lawrence, I didn't care where the fight went. I was so confident, regardless of what happened
2: in that fight, That was to find way to win it. And sure enough, that's just how it played out. Uh, yeah. I, I have a question just uh, about your mindset. So, like, the fight's starting to go your way. Do you think at some point maybe you could have finished him, but you wanted to try something else out? Were you, oh, you finished him. You know, earlier in, in the fight, like, was there something, or did you decide to try out all the different techniques? Is it something where... It was easy for you that you know. On no,
0: that day. the fight is always a high on the general. I mean, if, even with Terrell Miguel, like that's one of the things he always instilled in us. Like, like he literally would find a way to finish the fight, whether it was a jiu-jitsu match, whether it was an MMA fight. Whatever you're doing, you always like encourages to find a way to finish the fight or whatever. Uh, so my mind like looking for the finish was definitely like something I was always looking forward to. Like I mean, for the first couple fights, I was always disappointed. Like, oh man, I didn't perform as well as I did. Like, like what do you mean? You dominated that guy for three rounds. Like, yeah, but I didn't finish him. Like, like, you know what I mean? Uh so early on it definitely like would bother me that the fights play out that way. Um and like I said, having a guy who's experienced Miguel let you know, like, yeah, man, like. I have 60 fights in my belt. I have yet to have the perfect fight. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, it, it, I have an idea of how I should fight in my mind, but I have yet to go out there and perform the way I thought the fight would in my mind. So, um, the idea of always looking for the finish, always trying to get the, the, the fight over with or whatever is always there. Uh, but the reality of it is, it's just more difficult to do uh, sometimes or others or whatever.
1: The thing is, like, after this fight, like, we're all kind of like, our heads are spinning. Like, man, we got Torres on this one. Like, you got – he got us, you know, green in his eyes, but nobody else's. <laughs> um, and, and he legitimately thinks you're green at this point. Two weeks later, you travel again and you fight the <laughs> division like a, a college wrestler in uh on Terry. <laughs> <laughs>
0: like, you yeah, are just funny, just fast forward uh, five, six years later. Uh, Dancer is actually one of the uh uh, training partners and teammates of my current wrestling coach, Lisa bowling. So, um, it's just weird to see how small of the world it is. Like back then, I just, it was, it was the same thing. Like, like I said, I was trying to check the boxes to get to UFC. I didn't care who I had to fight. So when i came up for me to fight Missouri two weeks later, like, all right, sign me up. I'm there. Um, so I didn't, I didn't even know he was a, that good wrestler. So I got into the fight. Like, wow, this guy's really shooting well. And like, and, and like, Getting me to the ground or whatever, um, but it's just the, the the same mindset. Just finding a way to win and find way to push through and just just trying to like make it happen, so to speak. And it, I don't know, it pays out more often than not for me.
1: And the hit squad guys cornered you in that fight. Am I correct?
0: Yeah, I yeah, was on hit squad for that one. Yeah.
1: So you had Torres, Anthony, or Brian Johnston, Anthony, you know, Anthony Gomez cornering you two weeks prior with Lawrence Stunning. Now you got the hit squack when I was playing against and Terry. You knock him, you stop him in a third round, and then you fight with the HFC April 9th, 2011, Kevin Nowichek. Kevin Nowichek <laughs> is seven and oh. You know, he's he's getting a lot of decisions on his record, but he's made a name for himself regionally. Like, you, did you have any concerns going into that fight? Because that, in my opinion, was that was a huge fight, at least within the region.
0: Yeah, so that was a fight that he was talking to with the, uh, with the forest HFC about, Um, and like Going into that fight, like, it was, the Nwashik fight was definitely one of those fights that I should have took uh, more caution in as far as, like, wow, I'm fighting a real tough guy. But, like, I never let that thought cross my mind as far as, like, who I was getting ready to fight. I just knew, like, I your goal is to get to UFC. And the way you get there is to win fights. Go out there and win fights. So when the Nwashik fight came up, it wasn't, there wasn't much doubt there. It was just, like, before the email, before I read through the email, I was, I was responding, yes, I'll be there. <laughs> like like I was already like, taking the fight. Um, and it ended up being uh, a, a decision, but man, it was a, a, a really close fight. And it was the first time I had a fight that was like was that close. And um, like I said, washington is a very tough dude. Like he's uh uh he's, he, he made it to the regional surgery spot at 170, 205, 85. Like he's a super tough dude. And that was the first time I actually faced some uh adversity as far as like uh fighting a, an opponent that was like putting me in danger, so I speak. I was like, wow, this is not a fun feeling. Like, that was a super close fight, but uh, somehow fun. we get done and, and that fight ended up going the whole distance, but uh, still didn't have to get the, the win in that one. Yeah, it was the first
1: time you were a nail. You've always been a hammer up until yeah, this
0: point. Yeah, it was definitely on top of feeling, but like, uh, for me, those experiences just kind of like bring out the best. I, mean, I know some people use that term, like either win or you lose, but I just, I hate that term. Like, you either win or you lose. There's no, like, you learn a lesson to fight. My goal was to go out there and learn a lesson I go out there and win uh so if you go out there and you lose the you fight for me it's never like oh boohoo is that a it's, it's not a loss it's a lesson like no it's a loss and it fucking sucks <laughs> what do you do with that loss or whatever and then grow from there so in that Nawashik fight i was fortunate where i was able to win the fight but because it was so close or whatever it really forced me to go back to drawboard and find ways to get better and improve from there because uh it let me know like all right cool i get I and mean, won't we'll get to UFC, but you're struggling to fight a little bit, and you, you have some ways to go to get there. So that really forced me to go back to the drawing board, so to speak, and uh, uh, push things a little bit further.
1: So Miguel, there used to be this organization called Combat USA, and they were trying to spread throughout the Midwest <laughs> and have like tournaments, and then have like a national champion, kind of like a Golden Gloves. And the the amount of like production and care that they put into the event was like second to none. They yeah. did a, they did a great job. But there was, like, a caveat. It was, like, if you win a tournament, you win five grand. But if you compete in a tournament, you lose. You, did they pay – did you even have a payday or was it very little?
0: It was very little. I mean, I think when I was – like, I mean, especially back in the day, I mean, 10 years ago, 11 years ago, like, you were making thousands in your first couple of fights anyway. Like, you're going to come 100 bucks in if You're lucky. Um, so, for me, like that, it was just more so, like, checking the box the like, so coming USA was cool because, like, it had that that big pot at the end. I'm like, oh, cool. If I win this tournament, I can – I can get thousands. Like I, haven't made thousands fight before. <laughs> like, you know what I mean. So like, it was definitely exciting to make that much in a fight, but um, it, you have to win like three, four fights or something like that in order to get to there. Um, so this it was a little more difficult than uh, um, you would think or whatever to get to that that big prize. But um, yeah, we did get paid eventually. It wasn't the uh, like high belt whistles you would think would a, a promotion that had that much uh, production behind them. But uh, like I said, it's it's it was MMA. And, uh, Mid 2000s, I was everywhere.
1: <laughs> so, your first opponent for Combat USA was Quartilla Stitt, who actually trained at Hit Squad. Yeah. So, was there a falling out that you two had? Because I had heard that they requested this fight.
0: Yeah, so um, so at the end of his squad for me, like I knew, like once I graduated uh, from from SIUE, you know, I was going back to Chicago. I knew in the back of my mind that I was the goal, and I made it very clear to everyone there. I communicated to everyone, like, hey, when I get done, when I finish school, I'm going back up north. I'm not sticking around St. Louis. I'm not sticking around Southern Illinois. As soon as I graduate, I'm heading back up north. Um, so for a couple of coaches, when it came time to go back up north, um, they kind of, uh felt like be, I I owe a bit more of an explanation for my departure. It was like, oh, I, I should have sat down and talked to more. And maybe I should have, like, you know, what I mean at the time I was like 22, 23. Uh, Maybe I should have t- uh, talked to more about it and, and what I was going to do. But like in my mind, I knew like, hey, this is what I'm going to do. Like, I'm, I'm fighting to get to UFC. I'm down here because I'm going to school here. Uh, when I'm done with with school and I'm going back up north to chicago like that, that's my plan like everyone in, in the dorms everyone in uh on team nuda like all right neil's gonna be uh, a police officer in chicago working his way through the regional circuit that, that was like my plan my goal my thing from from day one kind of thing um so when the time came for me to depart from his squad um some of the coaches kind of felt uh uh left out or, or betrayed so to speak. because i remember it was like a monday practice were like oh Where's Neil? Like he's usually here 23 minutes early doing something, and he's not here. And the guys are like, "Uh, he's back in Chicago. to me where he's at." Um, so there was a bit of a, a miscommunication where the I was sticking around a lot longer. Um, after uh, uh, my college career was over, so to speak. Uh, and I was always like clear and uh, um. Uh, open about it, like, hey, after graduation, I'm out. Uh, So that that misunderstanding as far as, like, what my plan was after graduation uh, kind of rubbed a few people the wrong way. So uh, when our opportunity came for uh, a guy to fight me, it was just like, oh, yeah, we're going to take that fight. We're going to show Neil he made a mistake by going to, uh, uh, going back up north near Chicago. So I was like, cool, I need an opponent. You guys think this is the guy? Send him my way. (laughs) And uh, uh, that that was the the best they sent out there, and it it was what it was. <laughs> the bikes are not the way it did.
1: Was it uncomfortable afterward? Did you guys did you communicate with them or was it just it is what it is?
0: No, not at all. I mean, I've been competing like like, at, at wrestling, whatever else, for a real long time. and you get heated matches all the time, and it's, like, always a respectful thing to go over and shake your opponent's hand after the match, after the fight, after whatever it is. Uh, so at the end of the, the fight, you know, I had beaten this, this guy that they um, thought was going to beat me or a guy that they were rooting for against me kind of thing. Uh, it was the same respect I would give any other person who was a stranger. Like, hey, man, uh, good fight, this competition, on to the next kind of thing. So uh, for me, there was no... Bad blood at all. I went out there. Um, I competed against the guy that they thought was going to beat me, did my best. It was enough to win the fight. And that was that was all I needed at that point.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You go right back there. Uh, Andrew Trace, who, if you look at his <laughs> record, he's got a phenomenal record. Um, you fought him get right here, July 21st, 2011. Was this at 185?
0: No, it was at 170. You come in the first round guillotine submission. <laughs> yeah
1: is that a rough dog this was for the $5,000 grand prize too wasn't
0: it yeah that was the big one (laughs) yeah I mean and and that fight was interesting like not taking away from that guy but like um, uh, it's just one of those things that like for me like I remember going into that fight like there was just uh, life was going well life was going smooth like all these wins that like had this big prize within reach like oh yeah I'm about to get this $5,000 check here we go it's right there I'm just going to go then take it It it's mine uh, kind of thing. So you kind of like start looking past things, uh, sort of, so to speak. Start looking like, all right, cool. This is what's next. This is what's next. This is what's next. Um, and for sure, I went out there and I shot for a double. You found it against the end of the fight. I was like, oh, crap. That sucks. <laughs> like, like, you got the first round against submission finish. And uh, yeah, um, it sucked. I did not I did not like that feeling at all. That first loss was terrible.
1: <laughs> I always thought he was... I mean, there was a guy that had to have been on the UFC radar based on his you know, based on his record, and he just he stopped You know where others kept going, such as yourself. Uh, you turn it around real quick, actually, February 11, 2012. Daniel Sandman, a guy out of Michigan, more of a journeyman than anything. Um, Neil, I, I think people saw your gas tank in this one. Do you remember that
0: one? Yeah, I remember that fight. It was actually uh, the one of the few fights I took at 185, actually. Um, I remember taking that fight. It was... Uh, so probably to that, I had to get like a few months, maybe five, six months uh, without a fight. For me, it was frustrating because I was on a roll. I was used to like fighting every other month. I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to keep knocking these fights out, moving forward to, like get to I need to go. Go to UFC and like have this record and be good to go. Um, So that Daniel Samet, I remember being in the gym uh, training. And at the time, the promoter, Danielle, walked in and she was like, crap, I just lost my 185er. And she was just there to like give tickets to one of my other teammates that were fighting on that card. And they're like, oh, I'll take the fight. And she's like, Neil, shut up. No, you won't. And I was like, yeah, I'll take the fight. She's like, Neil, the fight's a week away. It's a 185. You're not taking this fight. Shut up. I'm like, I'll take the fight. Literally, I can weigh 185. I can fight guy in 185. I'm OK with it. Um, and she's just like, are you serious? I'm like, yeah, give me the fight. Like, I will take the fight at 185. Um, so she has to just like, all right, if you want the fight, it's yours. The fight's a week away. Um I don't think i will had a replacement corner for him, so if you want it, take it. Uh, so I was, ended up taking that fight 185 a week a week or two notice or whatever it was. Uh went out there and, like, it, it really showed me that, like, wow, fighting 185 is a lot different because, like, I would clinch with this guy and I would try to wrestle this guy and, like, the size difference was definitely uh, evident where he would, like, outbust me in position, so to speak. So I was like, all right, I'm just going to have to, like, make this a striking battle just, like, and kind of pick this guy apart from the outside or whatever. So I remember just, like, literally, like, Elbowing, picking, knee, and doing everything I can to like beat this guy into striking. And like by the end of round three, this dude was just like gushing blood everywhere. Like it was, it was like a cut his eye that was like pulsating. Like every time he would like take a breath, it was just like, mm-hmm. like blood just squirting out of his mm-hmm. eye um, from like cutting over the elbow or something like that. And it's just, it, it was a brutal fight, but it was the fight that I needed to get to where I was trying to go. That was the, like the last fight I, I I fought in a regional circuit before getting my chance to fight for the Ultimate Fighter and eventually uh, fight for the UFC. What
1: what is, what is your cardio routine? Because I mean, f- the punch stat on a, on that fight. I mean, I wasn't there, but I've been told it was very lopsided with you throwing hundreds of punches around <laughs> and just not stopping.
0: Yeah, I mean, it goes back to uh, how Miguel Torres had his train. Like he never. Um, I didn't know what overtraining was. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it was, Miguel. Miguel just set the standard and that's what we ran with. Like, uh, we didn't know how to like, gauge ourselves or pull back or things like that. I mean, we were sparring three, four times a week sometimes. Like, you know what I mean? And it wasn't like, oh yeah, if you did your three rounds, you were done. there would pretty much be one guy in the center of the cage. And like, if it was five guys there, Five guys rotate on you while the one guy stays in. Um, and then pretty much everyone get their chance to do that. We're doing that two or three times a week, maybe sometimes four times a week. Um, and then we'll finish that and we'll go right into grappling. And then we'll finish grappling. Like, all right, cool. we we'll do a weight circuit. Like, we're doing all these, like, um, crazy things back then where, like – we didn't know what the science was behind it but we do like you can't beat hard work and that's what we're willing we're to do we work our butts off and go out there and beat our opponents and uh for the most part it paid off more times than it did not um uh, so like that was what our regimen was back then that's all i knew all i knew was hard work i didn't understand the idea of like uh a training schedule that's gonna prevent overtraining or anything like that it was just work your butt off and go chase the results you want and that's the only way I knew to train mixed martial arts. So uh, for me back then, that's just the way it was. We just kept grinding day to day out, doing the specific thing that we're going to do. Whether we're sparring, or are grappling, we wrestling. We just went there and did it for hours.
1: Yeah, yeah. You're, you're. I, I think you're breathing as well. Like you don't, you don't get the dumps. Like you don't get the adrenaline dumps, and you've just got a very controlled way of handling yourself and. Are you just, like, a fear junkie, or does, <laughs> does that not even kind of come into play in regards to no, your decision-making?
0: Yeah. So like, you know, um it's weird. It's I remember being a distance around ran track or whatever, and, like, for me, like, when I was running, it was a we way from just, like, kind of be a moment. Like, I'll shut my mind up. There's no thoughts, no things, nothing going on. I'm just, like, kind of free, and I'm running. Like, there are times where, like, I'll just kick off running one direction and look up, like crap, I'm 10 miles away from home. I'm going to get back home now <laughs> and, and have to figure that part out. Um, so like when it came time to go train, it was the same same idea. Like, all right, cool. I walked through the door and like my mind switched off and I'm here working at this particular task. So if it was grappling, I'll pretty much grapple. so like we're done. Like, and sometimes they're like, but gravity price will last three hours sometimes. Like, literally, guys will get off work, we'll meet up at the gym, we'll start training. We'll look up at the clock like, damn, we've been for three hours. And at this point, like, you're so sweaty that, like, it felt like you know, you ever been into a bath where you're in there so long and your hands are like pruney? Like, it's this like so wrinkly from like uh sitting in the water? That's how our skin would be after practice because we're just sitting there sweating so much and training so much. that, like, by the time we got done, it's like the whole mass covered in sweat. The windows are, like, literally sweating and, like, fogged up from all the hard work in there. And, like, your, your hands are pruning from, like, sweating so much. And, like, at that point, you're like, all right, that was a good day. I think we're done training for today. And we'll turn around and do the same thing again the next morning or whatever. Um, so that was just the only standard I knew when it came to training. I was just, like, exhaust yourself, empty the gas tank, and then do it again the next day. Uh, so when it comes to fighting, I, that's the only way I know how to do it.
1: See, you're one of those guys that doesn't have fear. Like, you, you're kind of, like, a junkie with it. But it, it, it stops and begins with fighting. Like, I don't. Are you a motorcycle guy?
0: Uh, yeah, <laughs> okay. Free contract, I'm not allowed to have one, but there is a motorcycle in my garage that I have access to. <laughs>
1: okay, because in terms of your outside of the ring activity, there's nothing there, like, you're as clean as they get.
2: <laughs> I, I yeah, I mean, think, like, is, there's something going on in northern Indiana too, though. because what he just described also sounds like those old doodling, uh workouts. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? It's, that hard work is bred in the area, and Torres goes back to those days, too. Uh, it's funny. Torres, he's reminding me. sounds like he's talking about Marco Ruas, and it's Miguel Torres who's, like, this big, you know? But the man <laughs> commands respect, and he deserves it, you know, very much so. So I'm, For sure. I'm just drinking it all up and enjoying the conversation. Thank you.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, so he, he mentioned Doolin, it's Doolin Valley Tudo. that's for John Colossi, Eddie Wineland, Keith Wisniewski, uh, was Josh Shockley, those guys all made UFC parents, that's where they're here. from, Miguel Torres, but Steve Cologne as well. I mean, it's like that area, if you look at the wrestling in Northwest Indiana, it's actually one of the better area, regions in the entire country, and it's just a small, hardworking, blue-collar area, which is obviously where you cut your teeth. Let's talk about tough sixteen. Let's talk the tryout. Take us. You said you tried out four times previous. You said have enough <laughs> fights. What? When did? Were you sure that you had made it? Was there a specific specific line or question? Talk to us about the tryout.
0: Yeah. So the first two tryouts that I had for uh, the Ultimate Fighter, I got cut both times. It was like uh, the first time I tried out, I had the bare minimum. I had three fights. I was three zero. They're like, yeah, three zero, decent, but. Not not good enough. We want guys with more experience. Um, the second time I tried out, the same story. At this point, I was like, I think I was five and zero, um, and I and I was like, yeah, we want guys that were a little bit more seasoned in this sport or whatever. Um, and kind of, once again, so I went right back to uh, like reading the circuit fights as much as I could, and it came the third time to try out. And at this point, I'm like, all right, cool. They're gonna do a, a live season with both. Uh, what we were understanding was both uh weights and lightweights, and be a live season sixteen weeks long or whatever it was. Uh I'm like, Cool, here we go. Here's my chance. Um and at this point I make it to the end the interview process. Um the regular of my my application is like, Yeah, this guy's uh, I don't know, we'll we'll promote side we'll even we'll miss it, maybe. Um and then for that season they decided to cut the entire uh one seventy roster and just do one fifty-five. So that was another chance to get cut. And then finally, on the fourth time trying out for the uh Fighter, I remember like th- at this point, it's like, dude. Like, I, I tried three times already. Right? Like, man, this thing is getting uh, to the point that it's it's frustrating. Like, I have to like scramble up enough money to get to Vegas, find a hotel, stay there, go, all the stuff. Like, I'm a regional fighter, just got out of college. Like, I don't have this extra funds or so maybe like just flying out to Vegas and like make this thing happen. I didn't have sponsors. I didn't have any of that. Um, that crazy stuff. I remember just had my basic job that I was working at, as I was trying to get to the police academy or UFC, whichever one came first, kind of thing. Um, and I remember this this try came out again. I was like, "Fuck, dude! Like, how am I get to Vegas and like make it to the uh, to this try?" I was like, "All right, well, I'm gonna max out my credit card, book a flight, go out there and do whatever it takes." So uh, I maxed out my credit card, book a flight to Vegas, um, and I get there. I'm like, "All right, well, I have like a hundred bucks in cash to like last this whole three days that I'm there." So I'm like, "Well." I don't need a hotel, so I slept at the Las Vegas airport the first night, um, and I was like, I'll just sleep at the airport, and then I'll wake up in the morning, I'll take a shuttle, and I'll take me to the uh, hotel that the the charge uh, are being held at, and then I'll get there, do what I have to do, warm up, and do in the interview process again, so I fly in, sleep at the airport, wake up, wash up in the bathroom, hop on the shuttle, and just go uh, to the trial. So right, I, I make the grappling session. I made striking session and it gets to the point that we're doing the interviews. I'm just like, dude, this is my fourth time here. I don't know what else to do. You guys told me I to needed this. Tell told you to needed that. I did everything you asked for. What else did I do against the UFC? Um, and I remember Dana White and uh, Joseph looking at each other like, um, I think that's it. I think you, I think you did it. I think you're in. And I'm just like, wait, what? Like I'm in the ultimate fighter. like, yeah, I think you were to give a shot. You're you going to get a chance to fight for the ultimate fighter. It's like, no freaking way this is my chance in i was like like at this point i'm excited like oh hell yeah i paid off finally i get my chance to go to the ultimate fighter or whatever um and from there it just kind of just took off it was just like all right cool i made it to the ultimate fighter all i gotta do is just train hard make my way through and i'll be okay um so like it it, it wasn't like this easy like schedule they gave you either there's a lot of like hey, we're, we might be filming on this day and be ready for it. So, like, once we got home, we didn't know who we were fighting. We didn't know when we were fighting. We didn't know um, how the structure was going to be. So you had to, like, kind of, like, stay healthy and stay in the mindset. where like, oh, cool, I can fight in a week. I can fight in a month. I don't know which one is going to be, but I have to be ready for either one. I can fight a wrestler. I can fight a grappler. I can fight a, uh, a striker. I agree for whatever opponent came my way as well. So like training was interesting because I couldn't like rely on one special or one particular training part. I had to like mix it up as much as possible. Uh I can adapt to whatever fighter was thrown at me uh, when it came to time to fight. Um, and I remember uh, I was probably about a week out before we left there. So um, I remember sparring one of the guys over at, at Caesar, Steve Colosian this time, just to get a different look, different body types. And I remember I uh, – it wasn't intentional, but I remember teeping this guy in the face. and like, literally just, like, put right to the face. Like, kicked him in his face. It's like, what the hell? So he took it personal, he comes charging at me, and he blasts me in the rib where he, like, literally dislocate one of my ribs. And at this point, it's like, fuck. Like I'm, I'm on standby, for I was a fighter. Now I have a, a busted rib. What am I supposed to do? Uh, so I I'd go home. I can, like, barely get in and out of my car. Like, I couldn't take a deep breath or anything else like that. And I'm just sitting there like, fuck. Dude, I can't believe I just bruised my rib this close So like, Fighting for the ultimate fighter. So I'm like, uh, leading up to it, all I can do is just pretty much lay there in bed, ice my rib, and like pop out your probe and hopefully I can get this like information to go down, the swing to go down, and like uh, somehow I'll be able to compete on it. So the time comes to finally go out to Vegas and like do my thing for the ultimate fighter. Um, the first three days we're there, we're just kind of sitting in the hotel. Uh, we get there to give us a quick brief we're like, hey, we're going to take your cell phone. You guys don't have access to uh, computers or anything. Um, you're going to have to be on weight. In three days, uh, you're going to be fighting for a chance to get to uh, into the UFC, uh, into, or to into the Fighter house. I'm just like, the hell? What am I supposed to do? So like it's the same thing. We're, we're in this hotel. There's no phones. There's no, uh, we had TV. There's nothing else. Here. We're just sitting in the hotel room, just kind of waiting. So I'm like, oh, my river. Do you have a roommate? Room?
1: or that? Did you have a roommate?
0: No. You're by yourself in a hotel room. Like, uh, by day two, a few of us started, like, peeking our heads out in the, in the hotel lobby. Or in a hotel hallway to see if there's anyone walking by to like just have interaction with somebody. You know, just like you know, i been in this room for for two days now. I feel like I've been in, in a hole in jail or something. Like, right? it just it just was just it was just mind growing I'm just like, man, I need to see something or do something. Uh, but during that time, it's the same kind of thing. Like, I always keep icing my rib and uh, eating ibuprofen to hopefully feel better. So. Uh, we finally get to the point to like, all right, now we're fighting again in the house and I get matched up against uh Frank Camacho and the first yeah.
1: round he comes down let, let me let me let me set this up real quick. So the top 16th elimination round was actually July 31st, 2012. Frank to Crank Camacho, he's 11 and two on a team Oyama, obviously a famous like stomping ground at this time. Um go ahead, go ahead.
0: Yeah, so I came out. And, uh, I'm all bruised up, worried about this rib. How's it gonna feel? How's it gonna feel? And I go out there in the first round, and he literally just beats the crap out of me. It a, it might have been a tenning round. He beat the crap out of me. Dude. It was uh, it was a pretty uh tough first round. I'm just sitting there, just like, like trying to nurse this rib. And I just remember halfway through. And, and the other point that you don't know either is uh, you don't know the coaches that you have either for the uh for the fighter. So um, that day we just had, they kind of like first put big names out of it. like, hey, your team. Uh Nelson, your team this or team this or team that. So I just had these random guys coaching me according to me that day who knew nothing about me, nothing about my opponent, nothing about Wait, wait but- a minute.
1: You walked in with it was like two or three black guys that walked you in. Yeah. yeah.
0: You didn't know them Nelson at all? I didn't know any of those guys. The first time meeting was that day. Like I'm, I'm close to those guys now. I don't know them all now. Uh, who, who were guys. they? They were Roy Nelson's coaches in, in uh down in Vegas.
1: Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. he was on the show Roy Nelson brought in he brought in like nick and nate diaz like jake shields like he, yeah. he brought in you know he, yeah, so he brought, he brought his, the cesar gracie squad
0: yeah and he bought his uh coaching staff from uh extreme couture out in vegas as well uh and those guys are all like coaches over extreme couture that were kind of running the show not running the show for me but like wait, wait,
1: i apologize him. roy nelson brought them in team carwin brought his own people okay i apologize correct
0: yeah. yeah yeah so while we were there uh uh when these guys are coaching they have no idea about injuries, no, no idea about anything else. It's just like, dude, what are you doing? Like it's not that getting the trap beat out of you. And I just remember just thinking to myself, like, damn, like this is funny. My shot against USC, and here I am complaining about a rib or whatever. And I'm just like, it's either now or never. So I just like kind of like flip the switch in the corner. It's like, dude, fuck this rib. There's nothing I can do about it now. So just go out there and fight. And I just remember like literally taking it right back to Frank Macha. And I uh I probably 10 hit him right back in the second round. Uh, and we got to uh, a third round, a second, round, because we were both even uh, round one, round two. They're like, all right, that fight needs a third round. So he and I go to the third round, and at this point, we're going to fight two for now. Like, whoever wins this fight gets the chance to the uh, Ultimate Fighter House. And um, fortunately, I was able to get the best from that third round and eventually get my chance to fight in the Ultimate Fighter.
1: Yeah. Yeah, JC, uh, or, or Frank Camacho, was uh, no joke. For that's for sure. I mean, he's California tough, eleven and two. You get into the house. Um, August six, August six, two thousand twelve is your next fight, which is like a week out, a week later. And you've got the former Tough Seven Brazilian Jiu Jitsu coach and Cameron Diffley. Yeah, like this guy coached on The Ultimate Fighter. <laughs> now he's on The Ultimate Fighter, and he's your next opponent.
0: W- was there any like bright lights, big city type thing going on, or were you mentally adjusted? Oh, I was basically adjusting to anybody. Until I got to the Fighter House, that was the easiest thing I've done in my life. I mean, like, at that point, I've already been to a war, been to this, It's so, like, being in the Ulster Fighter House was the easiest thing I've ever done in my life. Like, literally, we were locked in a mansion with Everything you possibly imagine, like hey, someone's bringing you food, someone's bringing you everything you need. All you have to do is sleep, train, eat, and fight. I was like, dude, this is amazing. Like, I, I have absolutely no worries at all. Like, I, I don't have a phone, so I don't worry about bills. I don't worry about anything. All I have to worry about is is training and fighting. Uh, so at that point, it was it was great. Um, the downside is like I fought to get in the house, and I fought again a week later um, to. Uh, uh advanced in the, in the tournament and I was still dealing with this rib injury. So like I remember telling the coaches on the side, hey, is there any way I can get like a uh, uh like a football protection pad or whatever that I can wear underneath my, my my clothes so I can like kind of protect my rib or nurse my rib. Uh and they're like, yeah, we'll we'll try to get it to you. So, like they sneak me into this like like rib protector that I can like wear underneath my uh clothes and training or whatever. And the entire time when you got sponsored fighter house for the first couple weeks, I'm just I'm just walking around the house with a video on all the time. And guys are like what the hell is wrong with this guy? It's 100 degrees in the middle of Vegas in the middle of summer and this idiot is walking around with this thick black hoodie on all day long. Meanwhile, I was icing my rib the whole time trying to not let the other guys know how injured I was because I didn't want like, the doctor to find out to send me home. I didn't want anything crazy to happen. I was just like, all I had to do is fight through this I'll be okay. It's just a rip, just a rip, we'll be fine. So I get called out to fight the first week we we're there with the rib injury again, fighting a grappler. So I'm just like, oh crap, here we go. Uh, so at that point, I pretty much just have to like pretty much ride my bike and I'll strike him the whole time. I just knew I, I couldn't afford to like get caught in a grappling exchange. or rely on me to like uh, move any kind of crazy way, potentially hurt that rib further. So I just kind of played it safe in that fight, so to speak, and just kind of outstruck him.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um... Definitely, I, I think he was kind of looked at uh, as the favorite walking into the house, too.
2: Yeah.
0: Would you agree? Yeah, he's definitely one of the ones on there. Like, he was uh, uh, Nate Diaz's grappling coach. Uh, he, was the one, like I said, he was one of the coaches on the Ultimate uh, Season Pass, so uh, he definitely was one of the favorites on the show for sure. Yeah, he looked out of place and timid, which was surprising to me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, like, it's one thing to, like, Spar and like train with guys, but something else to see a guy to, like literally come out praying is like, Hey, you're staying away from what I want, and I'm not like, gonna let you take it away from me. That, that's like the whole other feeling to bring something out of you. How,
2: about, you know, you how made, about the house? Was there like anybody that rubbed you the wrong way, or like by because by the 16th season, like you think, like you said, they, they everything's like a machine. You want vodka, they bring you vodka, you want you know, steak, they bring you steaks, you want you know so is tension limited in the house or was there somebody who was just a jerk?
0: Um, so for the house, like for me it was easy. Like at that point I've lived in military barracks for like for years and I got think So for me, it was it was easy. I didn't have any any issues at all. Um the it they just started arising when guys started losing. Uh once you guys started losing their fights, they started to find excuses or other ways to make a name for themselves. Um uh, that's why you had the whole Julian Lane situation, things like that. Um you had all these guys that like Oh, I already lost my fight. Uh, I have nothing else to, to worry about while I'm in this house. Let me go ahead and start sabotaging somebody else's scene or whatever. And like that part did bother me. Like I remember I got to uh a, a interaction with uh uh what is it, Mike uh Mike Hill on the show, uh, because he he had lost the fight and he had already had a built-in excuse, like, oh yeah, I lost my fight, but I lost one of the best grabbers out there. And it's like, dude, you lost. Like, don't I can't care you are the best grabber, best like whatever it may be. You lost the fight and you just, like, uh, talking about because you lost one of the best guys out there, just, like, an excuse you're making to try to make the loss a little more understandable. Like, take the fact that you lost and then, like, go do something about it, but instead he wants to, like, throw this whole pity party. Like, oh, boo-hoo, poor me, I lost one of the best rappers on the show. And, I, and, I, it, it, and that really bothered me. you guy's, like, sitting here, like, asking for a pity party. I'm just, like, I don't care about this, dude. Like, I'm still in the tournament. I still have a chance of winning. I still have a chance of, like, uh, going forward and, like, getting this contract. I don't want to sit around, like, Eating my dinner, and here you are crying about losing to a guy on the show. Like, I don't care less about that. If you're gonna go cry, go sit in the hot tub by yourself or something. Just take that attitude away from me, sort of thing. And he starts looking like, Yeah, we're gonna fight, we're gonna fight. I'm like, no, you're not going to fight me. You wanna, I'm going to be yet another excuse for you to go home and tell your friends, like, oh, yeah, um, I got kicked off the ultimate Friday because I, I got to fight with Neil Magni. I'm like, yeah, you, you don't want to actually fight me. You want to make me your excuse moving forward. Like, you already have one. You just need another excuse to go home and tell your friends why you didn't make it on the show or whatever. Um, and his attitude really bothered me. Like, that, it really got to the point where I was just like, dude, get this guy away from me.
1: How was it like living with Julian Lane?
0: <laughs> luckily he was in a different like uh uh like quarters house or living quarter quarters than i was so i didn't really get the interactive much at all until that that one infamous let me bang World night uh incident like uh i had literally very minimal interaction with Drew Lane th- throughout the six weeks of filming
1: he, he's really turned his career around and like <laughs> used that to his advantage rather than let it define him um yeah he he's a guy that i think uh I mean, he's doing really well in bare knuckle right now. He's doing well. He's always in an exciting fights. So I, I enjoy watching him, and I've met him a few times. I had the pleasure of meeting him. I, I, I like the guy. Yeah, I, I wouldn't want to live with him, but I like yeah, the yeah. guy. Yeah, um,
0: from a distance, yeah, he's great. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, for sure. Bristol uh, Mar- Marunde, that's your next opponent. It's uh, September fourth, two thousand twelve. Do you think he may have missed weight against Lane? I know there was kind of like a a controversy. With that,
0: um, I'm not sure. Be honest with you. Not am Not too familiar with the incident. Okay, so he,
1: you also he's also your teammate. So it's somebody that you're actively rolling with. Um, yeah, you know, that's kind of my issue with your run on the Ultimate Fighter. You had to fight two teammates. <laughs> so it's like yeah, these guys
0: and- know what
1: to expect.
0: But the the big thing that that whole situation was the lesson we learned within that that whole ordeal. Like um. I got the short of this thing was forced to fight two teammates, but at the same time, I had an opportunity to ask exactly who I wanted to fight. And my reaction at the time was like, oh, uh, excuse me. Well, the cliche answer like, oh, I'll fight anybody. I'll fight anybody you tell me to, Dana White. And he's like, oh, you'll fight anybody. Cool. Here, fight your teammate. And I was just like, oh, well, I I, I didn't mean anybody in essence, but everybody from the other team. Like, no. You said you'll fight anybody. So go ahead and fight your teammate. And like the lesson we learned there was it's like, no, dude, if you want something, go out there and take it. Don't be afraid to like call a guy out on the other team that you want to fight, whether it's because you think you can beat this guy or this guy's an easy matchup or this guy's the most difficult matchup, whatever it is, go find that person and go ask for them rather than like leaving them to chance. Like, oh yeah, sure, I'll fight you every foot in front of me, kind of thing. And like I thought I would have learned that lesson then, but no, two weeks later, the exact thing happened again. We're sitting in a room, they're getting ready to do the quarter final matchups, like, hey, who do you want to fight? And, like, my radar is going up, I'm just like, hey, just say this guy or just say that guy. And I'm just like, uh, uh, I'll find anybody. <laughs> and he's just like, oh, you haven't learned yet, huh? Cool. You'll find anybody. You'll find your teammate again. And I'm just like, crap, dude. Like, here's my chance to actually uh, speak up and get what I wanted. But, nope, not the case. Uh, so, like, lesson learned. Like, don't even have the chance. Don't, like, go to cliche answer. If you want something, go out there and ask for it and take it. Don't wait and see what happens. Yeah, you know, don't leave it up
2: to a TV production. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, like yeah. You I mean I literally could have had my, my matchup, like, a favorite matchup. Like, yeah, I want to fight this particular guy, but I chose like, oh yeah, oh I don't want to offend anyone, I don't want to hurt any feelings, I don't want to call anyone out, so I'm just gonna leave it up the chance to say I'll fight anybody. But nah, not anymore. I want to fight this guy for this reason. Let's make it happen. Yeah.
1: So Bristol was out of uh, the Syndicate. He was fourteen and nine. Adventure of the IFL and force. I think that your head movement um, and your way to parry was your key to victory. Um, Mike Ricci was in the semifinals. You're one fight away. He's one of two Canadians. He's seven and two working out over a Tristar. Man, Neil, at this point, like I wasn't watching Ultimate Fighter at this point, but, but you were at it. I'm like, I got to see it. I didn't see your first two fights, but I'm like, man, I got to tune in. He's a hometown guy. Um, Ricci was, it was a hard fight to watch.
0: Yeah, yeah, tell me about it. I I have to go back and watch it and remember, oh wait, that happened. <laughs> like I don't remember that at all. Like uh, but it was it was a necessary lesson. I mean, like it was like that, like um if I notice something throughout my career, like there's always this uh tendency that I have where it's like um, close to that prize that I tend to uh, drop the ball so to speak one way or the other. It's almost like this self sabotaging thing that I that I subconsciously do, where like whether it was the Andrew Trace fight, it was like, oh, I'm gonna fight away this first biggest like pain in my life or whatever and i go out there and some constantly i, I do things that i don't normally do that like some more than another place the outcome it's like why do i do that like you know at one point it was Andrew Trace but like i watched a series of things that i've done enough to that fight that kind of um, played out in that fight and it's like huh Well, that sucked and then it might reach your fight the same thing like i remember um being on the bus going to the fighter gym for the fight and my coach asked me um Winter, hey how you feeling i'm like I feel good what why no big deal like, yeah yeah you're feeling good how like uh how's your hydration how'd you sleep rise and how'd you eat and i just like yeah hey fine hydration's cool like oh really well what did i send me peed i'm like uh i don't know this morning and it's like six o'clock in the evening whatever it's like and i'm like oh, wait, i peed in the morning like like why is he asking this He wasn't registering why he was asking a particular question but uh being a sports performance coach he's kind of asking a gauge like how did i rehydrate after my uh wake up how do i uh handle um all these other things, because like that was also the last day of filming. So everyone's just like, "Whoa, it's over with. We're, we're out of the house. Like one more fight, the cameras are off. We are done." Kind of thing. So I got complacent. I I didn't like do all the things I did to get me to that point. Like, I remember going to the Ultimate Fighter Gym, and he's just like, wait, you're, you, you're having pieces this morning? That's, that's not okay. And so he's, like, "Start handing me water bottles. Like, hey, man, you need to start hydrating now or whatever. Um, And, like, we're at the Ultimate Fighter Gym for, like, an hour or two, and I'm finally able to pee again. And it's, like, the darkest brown pee you can imagine. It's like, oh, crap, I'm dehydrated. <laughs> and uh, sure enough, the fight played out the way it did. And, like, I actually got concussed or knocked out twice within that fight. There was a point where he uh, dropped me, and I don't necessarily remember – getting back to my feet. I just remember being on the cage and my coach saying, Hey, uh, work back to your feet, work back to your feet. I'm just like, yeah, work back to my feet. I don't know why I'm not on my feet, but (laughs) let me work back to my feet here. Um, and then the elbow happened. And then, uh, well, the same thing, just trying to like play back and see like what happened, what's in place or whatever. But, uh, that was yet another lesson we learned. Like the, uh, uh, the correlation between hydration and concussions and knockouts and that kind of thing is very close. And that was a big lesson I learned throughout my career is like uh, how I treat the, the nutritional side of uh, going out there and competing as well. Not just like training all the other stuff, like actual nutrition, hydration uh, and preparation going to the fight on that end.
1: So, so your coaches, you had Nate Marquardt and you had uh, Trevor Whitman. Yeah. Who did you bond with? Like what coach did you bond with the most?
0: I uh, mean, Nate Marquardt. Nate Marquardt was actually one of the guys that allowed me to move out to uh, Denver, Colorado. Like, uh, when I first moved here, I spent the first six months living in his basement. Uh, like, it got to the point that, like, uh, I would go upstairs, like, literally be, like, the fourth kid, like, uh, his daughter would, like, literally sit there and paint my nails at the kitchen table. His son's like, hey, Neil, let's get, let's, let me get on your shoulders and go play in the backyard. Like, I was literally, like, the fourth kid that they had almost. I was, like, literally living with them for, like, the first six months I was here. Um, And, like, living with Nate was, like, Pretty significant part of my career like it was like basic training for mma like you guys i got to learn all the things about mixed martial arts that's outside the cage so like you always get a wrestling coach show you how to wrestle you get a strike coach show you how to strike or just go show you how to gravel all that stuff but no one really talks to you about like the other stuff that goes into mixed martial arts as far as like how do you treat like a business in order to be here for a while or whatever like uh, how do you handle taxes how do you handle getting a an llc or an escort? how do you handle paying coaches how do you handle uh nutrition and dietitians how do you handle weight cuts? How do you handle all these things that uh injury, injury prevention sports performance like no one ever talked to a young fighter about all these different things It's kind of sue that you're supposed to know it um but fortunately a guy like Nate's been in the sport like uh 20 plus years so he got for six months is literally like we're seeing a blueprint or a cheat code like hey this is the key to being a successful MMA fighter—not just in the cage, but uh, at life. Like, so you can have something to show for when it, it's all said and done. And like, those six months living with them was probably the best uh, six months of my life and career.
1: Neymar Quart, former King of Pancrase, he is just so underappreciated. <laughs> you know, he he really is just a brilliant, brilliant, you know, combat sports mind, and you know, he lives the life too. Like, you don't. There's not a lot outside of the cage involving him either you yeah, know that's that's yeah. kind of look at left of center um after the ultimate fighter for the finale you were not on it did you have concerns that maybe you weren't going to sign a contract with them or what were the conversations like
0: no so i knew i wasn't uh i knew i had god because because uh then had came in and he chewed us all out he was just like what the hell do you guys think this is? Do you guys think you to show up to fight on the Ultimate Fighter or fight the UFC with, with the crap that I'm seeing out there now? Like, no, it's not happening. None of you guys have earned a UFC contract yet. Absolutely none of you guys. And like, it literally let the air out of the room. And I'm just sitting there like, no, not me. I won my fights. I'm still going forward. Like, I'm not. I'm not one of these guys. Like, I'm gonna fight for UFC. I'm gonna get my shot. I'm gonna get a chance. I'm get a, I'm not. It's not over for me yet. Um, but like, there, when uh, it came time to the Ultimate Fighter finale. It was just like win for my contract. I was like, oh, wait, maybe I did get a matchup. Like, maybe I was one of those guys that aren't going to get a chance to fight for the UFC. But then the contract came in like six weeks out where I got the uh, promotional contract where it had said, like, hey, you're, you have four fights in UFC and you have a bout agreement against uh, John Madley uh, or whatever. And we were actually scheduled to fight on uh, the UFC fighter finale, uh, but he unfortunately caught uh, staff. Uh, and wasn't able to fight that night. So they pushed our fight back to February uh, the following year.
1: So, so Joe Manley, uh, or John Manley, I should say, seven and one on a team link with Gabriel Gonzaga. Um, it was more of like a battle for third place. So it was, you two were the only guys in the house that got the contract. Everybody else got cut. Was there any, did you keep in contact with anybody after that? Or was it just when you were, you left, you were, you were done?
0: Um, I keep in contact with some guys like uh Igor, uh Bristol, all these guys. I keep contact with some guys along the way because, like, um, like once it comes to like even Bristol was one of the guys I kept in contact with because, like, um, like there conversation that took place that had to do less with MMA but more about life in general. Like Bristol's uh, uh, he's a contractor and his wife's a. Uh, real estate agent out in Vegas, and they do some amazing like flips out there. someone saw so that Bristol's they would get a TV show on HGTV at one point called Uh Flip in Vegas or whatever. And that's something I'm interested in. So uh, staying in contact, communication with things like that was pretty cool over the years. Um, and it just, just small talk here and there with some of the other guys, just kind of like, hey man, um, wish you the best, happy success, get up to a better person, blah blah blah, uh, moving forward or whatever. Um, but like it was never any like hostility for the most part for with the majority of guys on the show. Like, Jordan Lane, I care less about. Like, if i never see that bad day in my life, I won't lose really thing about it at all. But, like, there's some guys on the show that I – it was cool to, have to spend that that moment of time with them at least.
2: Hey, how, how was Marundi on the ground? Because uh, I booked him back in the old days, and uh, he came with uh, Dennis Hallman and Anthony Hamlet and those guys in, from his origin. So he's a Northwest guy. Yeah. Those guys can be pretty tricky on the ground without – being jujitsu guys, and any anything you remember from him because he was pretty um, at his level. Not too much. Anything that stuck out, but it didn't have made it difficult. It was just like, like I said, you he was a
0: teammate on the show, quote unquote. So like uh, we had trained together for several times leading up to that fight. So it was kind of uh, you kind of knew each other's tricks at that point. So I mean it's like when you go into the fight, it's just like, oh uh, oh, here's that thing he did last time and you avoid it. Like, you know what I mean? So I made it, it, it made it it made for a difficult fight because he kind of knew what to expect on both ends. Like he kind of knew what I was going ready to do and the same thing vice versa with him. So it kind of made it difficult where it's like, like, oh, I'm gonna catch you with this surprise thing, like, hey, that's the surprise thing he didn't price to me 10 times already. It's not gonna work tonight. Like, you know what I mean? Uh so I made the fight very difficult in that sense where uh because we had to trained together soak for literally six days a week for five weeks up, or four weeks up to that point it was just like oh, i know this guy pretty beastly at this point
2: yeah
1: wow. your first your first ufc fight after manly was july 3rd 2013 ufc 163 they flew you out to rio that's <laughs> any trepidation any issues your opponent was sergio marias uh
0: the panther yeah i mean like i said it was uh that first year in UFC was literally a big growth uh, experience for me. Like, really made me question, like, "All right, you, you here it is. You made it here. Do you really want to be here?" Kind of thing. Um, and it really, like I said, really made me question like uh, a lot of things about myself going into that, like the uh, Sergio Maris like fight or whatever. Like, even, even though I it today, like even though I had that that fortunate situation of being with May Marcourt and all this other stuff um, for the first six months and learning about like how to handle MMA as a business kind of thing. It wasn't easy. You know what I mean? Like um, I spent seven weeks on the Austin TV show and I uprooted my life and moved to Denver Afterwards, in anticipation, I'm going to fight the fight Fighter finale, which would have been a few months later. So, like, you think of like the uh, the financial like risk that is to take. Like, I quit my job at that point. I was like in my last year of the army. Um, I I turned down the police academy, and I literally just uprooted my life and like, right, I'm going to going to Colorado. I literally loaded up my Hyundai Sonata with everything I can like take with me, and like pretty much gave or threw everything else away. And I was like, all right, I'm, I'm heading west. I'm going to make this thing happen. Um, and like the little money I money I had for me, I was fighter was like when I was trying to make stretch throughout the UFC um so when it came time for me to fight I was like all right cool. come to fight in December I'll get my my pay Things would be cool I'll be able to move forward from there um th- that wasn't how it played out like I I was like crap like I lived here for six months without a job chasing this like quote-unquote UFC fighter lifestyle or whatever um and here I am my credit cards maxed out, bank account drained and overdraft. Like, how am I, like, I going to go out there for my best? So, like, going through the search rice fight, like, it was uh, it was hard trying to, like, focus what I needed to do with all this extra baggage, like, that was going on as well. And I was just like, Man, like I got to figure this thing out. Like, I don't know if I'm going to, like... Like, I don't know how I'm going to make it out there. Like, I got to, like, I got to get a passport now. I didn't have a passport going into that fight. Um, I got to cover a second coach's air flight and airfare at Rio, like, 2,500 bucks or whatever. Like, oh, that's an extra expense. Um, And then, like, uh, medicals and all that stuff. So, like, I was, like, in debt going into the fight, thinking about all this other all stuff except for the fight, and go out there and completely shit the bed. I was like, oh, crap. And
1: you're like, well, wow. a- you say shit the bed. Your first UFC opponent, seven and two, out of box one of their coaches. He's a three-time Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu world champion. And, you know, he's walking distance to the venue.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> like, it couldn't but have been, like, I a, a super learning
0: curve. <laughs> I could beat him. I should have beat him. I didn't beat him, so I definitely should have been. Better. Like, I was just, like, like you know what I mean? Like, going out, there, like, man, I know I should have done better than that. But like I said, it was, it was uh, uh, an opportunity to grow as well, like, that, that loss. Definitely sucked. It sent me back a lot, and I was like, "Man, what am I going to do about this uh, or whatever?" And I'm like trying to like figure this thing out, and like hear your thing. Like, all right, I got to figure it out. I'm good to go. I'm going to take this to the next fight and I'm make things happen. And I go out there and I fight uh, Seth. Uh, uh, Seth Beksinski, yeah. November 6,
1: thousand thirteen, UFC Fight Night thirty one, right in front of the troops, dude.
2: Your people.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's like, oh, here it is. is my chest, bounce back, go gonna get it done, and I. Just didn't have it figured out. Dude, like i remember uh we're backstage or we're, we're warming over doing our thing, uh Bert Watson, which is like he's like the uh uh like Joe. The, yeah, he's like the general, he runs the show backstage, make sure everyone's where it should be, how they should be. And he walks past my uh my woman. room like, hey Neil. For 45 minutes, I'm like, all right, cool. So I'm getting my hands wrapped. I'm going get ready to go, do my thing. Uh, so I go, I sit down, so I get my hand wrapped, uh, and like start like getting dressed. And not even within two minutes of him walking past, saying I had 45 minutes, he comes on, hey Neil, you're on deck. I'm like, I'm on deck, like what I, I thought I had 45 minutes. So I'm like, now I'm like backstage trying to rush, like, oh, where's my cover? Where's my mouthpiece? Was this, where's that? And I'm just like, all right, cool, I have to go fight. So I'm just like driving myself, getting dressed as I'm walking to uh the curtain. Uh, to walk out there I'm like, dude, this is it. Like barely any warm up or anything. Like, this is it. I'm going out there. Um and the first two rounds in that or the first round in that fight I'm like trying to figure out like, all right, cool, let me let me get warmed up and get ready to go. Um I get that round away. The second round like all right cool I'm starting to get warmed up, ready to go. That round is close. They give it to him. The third round is completely my fight, but at that point, it's over with. I, I fought. I wasted the first round getting warmed up. Uh, the first, the second round was too close, and the third round I won, but it it was it just wasn't enough. Uh, and I dropped the ball on there, and I'm just like, crap, dude. This that's two fights in a row. I'm gonna get cut. Like this is, this is it. <laughs> like it's over with.
2: But,
1: let's talk about the situation. Seth Bacsinski going into this fight. He's 18 and 10. He came on The Ultimate Fighter as a body and performed so well that they brought him over. Real exciting fighting style as well. He's won six of his last eight, but he's two losses in a row. One of his wins is over Matt Brown. He said, I, I talked to him about your fight. He's, you know, I, I keep in touch with him. And he's just like, with about 90 seconds left in the third round, Neil need me in my hip and it made my leg go numb. And he's like, I freaked out. He's like, I've never experienced that in all my years of fighting. And he's like, it, it, he's like, I, I can't believe I, I didn't. Like, just freak out and say, let me get out of here. So you, you actually <laughs> almost finished them.
0: <laughs> Close, didn't cut it. Like, it, just, yeah, it just sucked, man. But like, like I said, and at that point, I was just like, dude, this is it. I, it's, I just I dropped two fights in a row. I'm cut. There's no way you're just keep me after this one or whatever. Um, and he pinned and you like, against it, the it, fence.
1: He pinned you against the fence over and yeah, over and over
0: again. Yeah, and I, I literally thought it was over. Like, I remember being in Denver. And I'm not even kidding you. Um, at this point, like, uh, i like – break, man, like, how did I end up, how do I end up in this position, like, I, I, I quit my job, I did all the stuff, I, I moved to Colorado thing, like, I made it, I'm a UFC fighter, life's about to be great or whatever, and I'm freaking in the hole trying to dig myself out, literally, uh, so to speak, and I'm just like, how do I uh, end up here, kind of thing, uh, and I'm just trying to figure it out, figure it out, figure it out, and then finally I sit back, I'm like, well, if you are cut, what are you going to do, if you're not cut, what are you going to do, kind of thing, and I'm like, all right, well, life doesn't stop, it because this First couple fights to go my way kind of thing, and I remember like literally going in, and I physically took the uh, written exam for uh, the Denver Police Academy. at This point, (laughs) like to join uh, Denver Police uh, at this, and I'm just like, "Yeah, dude, like I'm gonna come to UFC, I'll be a police officer, I'll keep working my way through, hope I can be the best UFC, but I'll in the meantime, I can't keep like digging myself further and further in the hole, trying to make this thing happen or whatever. I have to like at some part, at some point, get back on level ground, so to speak. Uh, So I'm like, "All right, cool." apply for general police academy, I'll go through that and I'll work my way out of this hole and I'll uh start pursuing at again. Uh and I remember walking into a wrestling practice one day and Donna Cerrone is there and my wrestling coach is there and like I'm about thirty minutes before practice started or so and I'm just like just this wearing it on my face like this this look of like worried like fuck man, I'm, I'm gonna get caught Just waiting for the day for him to like send me my walking papers or whatever else and like let me know like, hey man, get have me see you later kind of thing. Uh and I'm just like I'm stressed about it. And then uh donald was like what the hell's wrong with you i'm just like bro think about to get cut man and he's just like well why don't you send joseph an email a message a text something and i'm like you're ready to fight right now and see what he says and i'm like dude what if you what if you cuss me and well at least you know you're not sitting here wondering like you're either gonna get cut or you're not and it's like well i guess you're right so before practice i i sent an email like hey um I know my last two fights did go my way. Uh, I, I know for sure I can do a lot better than that. I just need an opportunity to uh, get things in order and an opportunity to go out there and shine, blah, blah, blah. Uh, leave that message on there. It's like, I'm willing to fight anyone anytime. Just let me know uh, when and where you need me kind of thing. Uh, I sent an email. I sent my phone literally across the gym. I, I sent it way across the gym so I don't want to hear a ring. I don't want to hear a ding. I don't want to hear anything. I just want to like, go in Focus on this practice and deal with the later kind of thing. Uh, so I go in and just like, and I just, I just train my ass off. I'm like, all right, cool, let's let's get this fight going or let's get this, uh, this training going and just make the best of it. And after practice, I kind of mosey back over, find my phone, and I'm looking at it. And this email from Joe Silver, I'm just like, oh crap, here it is. Uh, here it is. I got caught, but it's, it, it's over with. And I open it, just like, yeah, dude, that's, that's what i like to hear. When, how'd you like to fight in, uh, I think it was January or something, uh, which is a couple months away. I'm just like, yes, I'll take it. I didn't even look at the name. I just said yes, I'll take it. <laughs> and at this point, I was just like, like, cool. I'm gonna make this thing happen. So at this point, I uh I finally started working with my strike coach uh, 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 Christian Allen, uh, my rest coach uh, Alicia Bowling, is there and like was like looking off the crew, like, hey coaches, I got another shot, I'm gonna make this the best run possible. Like here it is, they're gonna make the best of this uh this opportunity or whatever. And everyone's just like, all right, cool, let's, I I like it, let's let's make it happen.
1: So Miguel, you gotta listen. You gotta check this out. So Seth Bagzinski lost two fights in a row. If he lost against Neil, he was cut. He put on a heroic performance. Man, that that, that was that, that was a pretty emotional fight to watch. Man, it was, <laughs> it, was, it was a fun one. So what do they do to Neil? February first, two thousand fourteen, UFC one sixty nine. They send him to New Jersey, <laughs> close to New York. You can see some of your family. Uh, Khabib Nurmagomedovs a teammate uh Gasan Umalatov uh, you know one of the, the first line of the Russian invasion coming to the UFC and Neil gets a guy that's 14 and 2 who's also the world sambo champion at the time
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, man, so I do I did not care I was like I'm gonna go out there and make the best of this I remember working my strike coach Christian well, I haven't I, learned <laughs> 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 like we're, we're sitting there, and he's like he's working with my 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 base or whatever. And we get to the point of working the jab. He's like, "No, I need to turn your knuckle over this job Turn your knuckle over the job And and like we're doing this over and over and over again. And I'm just like, 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 damn, coach, we going to fight this guy. And and we're working on the freaking job we Need to work more. He's like, "No, no, no, you'll It's, it's almost like my uh my wax on wax off moment with Mr Miyagi, <laughs> where, where he's just like so hyper focused on his job. Like, hey, I need you to. Go the jab like this, trust me. And I'm just like, like, all right, coach, i have a pretty big fight here. I just lost the last two. It might be getting tough if I lose this one, but I'm to work on his jab. So here I am. I'm working on this jab. And it's like getting me to turn the jab over and over and over again to turn a certain kind of way. And I'm just like, cool, I trust you. I'm going to go with it. Um, so we fast forward to the night of the fight and I'm like, here we are. I must I literally threw that jab that we worked on probably 200 times and landed 150 times that fight. I threw yeah. it so much that I literally rubbed the skin on my knuckles raw. Trying like when I took the wraps off, they literally like uh like the skin was rubbed off of my knuckles from turning it over on that jab so many times in order to land it when we did in training probably to it. And I looked over at him, My hand is hurting, bleeding, all kind of stuff. Well, I mean, good job. we figured it out um and like that was the beginning for my uh ufc career being what it is now like i mean i went on a, a, a with, uh uh seven five win streak with my coach from there uh lost david my Turned around and fought a week and a half two weeks later uh against eric silva uh i went five and oh one year four and one the following year uh uh nine and one total within like 18 months uh whatever just like just chasing that goal, just trying to find a way to uh, "quote unquote" get on top and separate myself from my peers, so to speak. Um, and been at it ever since this point.
2: Was yeah. that uh, yeah. Was that email Was that email that you sent after the conversation with Cerrone? Was that your first actual conversation with Joe Silva? Or because after that, obviously, you were a go-to guy for him. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and he had you had speed dial, so you know. Do are, are you you know? Cerrone's another guy just like you, so like <laughs> silver likes some
0: of Silva yeah. guys, that. Huh? Yeah, I've been pretty fortunate where, like, because I was so eager to get to UFC and all this of stuff, like, I never had an opportunity to, like, uh, work with management. Like, for the most part throughout my UFC career, even up to now, um, I always, like, handled things myself and it was always straightforward. Excuse me. It was always me going out there finding the best guys and looking for the best outcome. I never, um, I never played, like, the unquote uh, uh, political, political games. I never, like, pick and chose which fight was like the most favorable matchup for me. It was always like the guy's like, all right, cool. I know I can beat anyone. I'm going to go out there and prove I can beat anyone kind of thing. And if I came up short, I was like, damn it, that sucked. And I got right back on the horse, so to speak. Um, so like I built that relationship with the UFC <clears throat> over the years, I uh, feel like definitely like uh it helps to met me where I'm at now with the, with the company, with my career so far. Like, I, I was never a guy that's kind of like picking and choosing when he fights, who he fights, or something like that. I mean, even to my last fight, like, my son was scheduled to be born. My wife was really scheduled to have a C-section on uh, June 21st, um, and I was scheduled to have a fight on June 25th. So, literally, it would have been like, the morning up like, hey, my son's here. High five. Daddy has to go to work. I'll see you on Sunday, kind of thing. Um, and that's just the way I live my life. Man. I mean, like this is a very small uh, window for me. Um, I appreciate it being in the position I am now, um, and I just make the best of, make the best of it all. Because there'll be a day where I can't do this anymore, and I'm gonna sit back and wish that I could. So until that day comes, uh, I'll make sure I go out there and make the best of your opportunity. Yeah, can we knock out a couple more fights? Would you mind? Would
1: you gotta? Do you gotta get called? What's that? Can we knock out a couple more fights, or you, are you busy today?
0: Oh, bites? Yeah, sign What do you doing?
1: <laughs> no, no, no. No, no. It's oh. like I got I to – Neil, I, oh. I'm like like a maniac with goats. <laughs> hey,
0: man, yeah. yeah, no. It's like I, I
1: got a bunch. One, your training partners, you know, Justin Gaethje, Cowboy Cerrone, Nate Marquardt, Um, Like you've trained with the best of the best, you know, and that elevation, that elevated area of, of Colorado, it's like you took a cardio machine and it's just like you just fed them just, just raw <laughs> oxygen. <laughs> it's it's yeah. amazing, just like how much pressure, like pressure, I, pressure has won you more fights than anybody else in the UFC, in my opinion.
2: For sure,
0: yeah. I can't be said earlier in this thing, like I mean, like uh, starting out, was not like the strongest guy? Things like that, but I'd be damned if I'm going to outwork by anyone else, like. Uh, throughout my career, I have uh, two losses by uh, decision, and those two decision losses bother me than any other loss uh, throughout my career. Um, and it wasn't because, like, this happened or that happened, but it's just the sheer fact that I I know somebody else, quote-unquote, not me, and that bothers me. Like, that was the one. that's the one thing that stood my control, uh, and those two fights, I allow someone else to not work me, and that bothers me. Um, so moving forward or, or even this this for my career that's the only thing that i i have control of like my output my effort my uh my pace my my kind of like you know what i mean it's the only thing that i control i can't control how hard somebody is i can't control how somebody fights but i can't control my output and how much i'm willing to fight.
1: when you fought tim means he was 25 and one he fought at 155 moved up to 170 he was a minus 240 favorite you were walking into a buzzsaw, and you, you just fought the Sambo World Champion. Tim Means, I, I don't think he understood what, type, what cardio meant until he fought.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like, uh, yeah, and that was a late in uh, replacement fight, too. I think I was scared to fight someone else uh, leading out to that fight, and it was a completely different matchup. I remember uh, when Tim Means' fight came up, I was like, what the hell am I going to find a six-two trading training partner who's a striker on four weeks' notice? Like, this is not a guy that like you just like you know. What I mean, like, you don't have that that kind of guy hanging around uh, the gym or whatever. Um, and when that fight came through, it was like it was definitely a huge adjustment for me. I was just like, huh, this is interesting. A guy with similar reach, similar uh, everything, but he's also like a softball, which is a, a different like. Uh, I'll stop and prepare for, so to speak. So, uh, there was definitely some learning on the flag going to the Tim Means fight. Uh, but one thing stayed true, I was just like, All right, cool, going to figure this out one way or the other.
1: You go from there, you uh, you finished Tim with the decision, or you, I should say, the fight finished with the decision, but you were on your way. Like, Tim Means is one tough SOB, like, he, he yeah. kept taking it in there. You had questionable jiu-jitsu at this time. They threw you up against another black belt June 20, 2014, in New Zealand, Rodrigo de Lima. Man, that first round.
0: <laughs> no, no,
1: no. You remember that first
0: round? Oh yeah. I remember how it ended too. Remember the throwing that triangle. And I was like, holy crap, this thing's getting tight. And they're like last ish effort I was like remember just lifting him up like Rampage face style like, like I just like had him in the air just holding on I just gotta walk over to the fence I was like all right if I set him on the fence here he can't extend back and like make this choke any tighter than what it is. Uh so I'm just like all, right, all I had to do is hold on to like 10 more seconds and like and, and go from there. Uh and I just remember it's like all right there goes the cracker uh 10 seconds left I was like what if I just go for a slab here so I like, oh, got like rampage slap on his back and it wasn't as like glamorous as rampage at all, I, I dropped him in and the <laughs> triangle were choke that tighter. Like, oh crap, I probably should have stayed standing. Uh, but the choke ended up getting tighter. I was like, all right, just hold on, just hold on. This point, I have three, four seconds left. So, um, I survived that round. And I was like, all right, and that was a round that he definitely won. Uh, attacking the submission the way he did. Um, I have to take this back. And I just came out the game sprinting like, literally, like throwing all types of combinations, switching stances on and everything else, blitzing forward, coming back with uh, combinations and I was able to clip them and uh, uh, get a TKO to win that fight.
1: So for people at home, Matt Hughes, Carlos Newton, that heroic slam at the end. <laughs> Neil had, you know, uh, Rodrigo up against the fence. It was just like, like people, like, it told me two things. One, you were thinking while fighting. You know, sometimes people get that tunnel vision to where you're, you're in there, just kind of just vamping, going any which way you can, and understanding where you're at. Did you see how he got up after at, when that bell
0: rang? Yeah, that was one of the best things. Like my coach was, my wrestling coach said to this day, like uh, one of the things he likes doing or, or, or pointing out to me during between rounds in the fight, like, look as I'm walking back, like whether I won the fight or not, it's like kind of give me that extra bit of motivation, like extra kick in the body. He will say, "Hey, stop! Look at him! Look at your opponent right now! Look at how he's getting up!" And it's like. Oh, I got him! I just see him crawling to the fence or whatever. I was getting up, and I'm just like, "Oh, cool! I'm gonna, I'm gonna blitz out there and meet him in the center." <laughs>
1: yeah, Delima dominated the first round. Like, like literally wobbled to get up because he was so tired from like just next leveling it. I mean, he ran his engine in the red, and I'm like, "Dude, Magny's a cardio machine. I mean, he's winning this fight, and you were an <laughs> underdog too." <laughs> In, in 2014, you also fought Alex Garcia. I thought you may have overtrained for that fight. Is that what may have happened? Obviously, you won the bout. But it seemed like you were a little slower, a little step there.
0: Yeah, so two things that took place to that fight. Like I said, I, I had uh, fought five times that year, five wins or whatever. Um, this is number four. That, yeah, that was the fourth fight, and it was the I think it was like a month or two after the other fight. Um, so like it was, uh, I can't remember how close it we together was. Well, remember thinking about it, I was like going into, it, I was just like, i like, man, like, uh like, in my mind, I was like, all right, take a break, get back to it, or whatever, I rarely ever take breaks between fights. At this point, I, I've been going at it so much, I was just like, all right, take a quick breather and take this fight, and like, I remember, I literally took a couple of days off, or whatever, uh, and I flew to the Dominican Republic, so, like, just kind of relax for a bit, like, enjoy myself, and as I'm on, I was, like, on a five-day vacation, or something like that, on day two, I get a call from Joe Silva, hey, where you at? And I'm like, i am just hanging out, like, take some time off, you know, just relaxing a bit, and he's like, cool, we don't want to fight, like, you know what I mean? Whatever the fight's about from there. Like, cool. I like it. I was short of a fight for you. We think my Alex Garcia, uh, three weeks later, I'm like, all right, sign me up. As soon as I hang up the phone with him, I call United, like, hey, I need to change my flight. I need to get back to Denver as soon as possible.
1: <laughs> so, Your <laughs> wife must have wanted to kill you.
0: Yeah. I literally cut my vacation short flew right back to Colorado and jumped right back to training camp. Uh, three weeks notice we're out there in him or whatever. Um, and, this fight was interesting because, like, it was also uh, a good changing moment for me where, uh, like, leading up to the fight, we were, we were in uh, Oklahoma, so, it was, like, a real small uh, uh, town or whatever, so, like, we had to share the same sauna, share the same hot tub, share all the same things or whatever. Uh, so, I'm hanging out with the guy and getting ready to fight all week long because we kind of skip one another. Like, the town is so small that we're literally, everywhere he goes, I'm there. Everywhere I go, he's there. Like, we're just literally by each other every single time. Um, and I remember, like, like befriend this guy we're about to fight each other I'm like what the hell is going on here why am i with the guy who get ready to fight This doesn't feel right um kind of thing and i'm like
2: like all right whatever let me
0: let my wait to this fight and i remember in the first round um i did something i i hit him with a jab or something like that his legs wobbled and i saw his knee like reacted funny and like after befriending this guy to week up, it felt weird like uh, pouncing on a guy who looked, like I, I can see he's injured. I can see something's wrong with his knee. It's kind of tweaked or whatever. So in my mind is like, ah, oh, I, I, I can't, I can't pull the trigger. I can't like, I can't go out there and like, like end this thing. So I'm like, oh, I'm just gonna like, quote unquote, like take it easy kind of thing against this guy. So I kind of like just kind of point my way through that fight, just to, like not like put the the my, the pedal to the floor so towards me. I don't like. I don't take advantage of the the wounded animal source. I just kind of, like, let it play out and everything else like that. And then after the fight, it's like a week or so later, I'm hearing interviews about this guy. Like, man, uh, ethneo Magni. that fight wasn't close at all. I thought I won that fight. I feed him, like, any day of the week. This and that. I'm just like, this bastard, dude. Like, I I took it easy on you because I thought you were injured. And I didn't, like, feel comfortable, like, uh, taking advantage of in that moment. And here you are running around in interviews and everything else like that, saying how you... Uh, feel like you won the fight and, and everything else like that's so all just like all right let me go ahead and turn this nice guy attitude off when it comes to fight like i i i, I understand this is my my job my career i'm not here to create any kind of like malintent or or interest to the point that he can't like enjoy life outside of fighting but um that have been accepted the uh uh accept the the truth that it's possible that that get can and may happen and someone may get such injured in, in the fight or whatever that's not me to decide when that happens or doesn't happen i just go out there uh, and do my job or whatever but that actually changed the way i go into fights so if you notice it's that fight um the whole idea of going out there and saving house and opponents like i don't do that anymore i just go out there like hey for the next 15 or 25 minutes we're here to fight after the fight i'll embrace we'll do whatever we have to do but for this particular time i'm not here to be your buddy i'm here to fight you and, and uh be the better man or whatever uh so that was the moment that I actually shifted how i approach uh fights now too your last fight, and
1: this is this is this is what I'm going to wrap up with. 2014, October 25th, 2014, UFC 179, William Macario. He's in, <laughs> it's in Rio de Janeiro. He actually grew up very close to the arena as well. It's his hometown. Um, man, dude, this is uh, your fifth fight in the calendar year, and um, if you had won, you would have tied the UFC record, you know, for most wins in one year.
0: No yeah, pressure. Yeah. Yeah, no pressure at all. Go back to Rio. The Rio fans are pretty intense. and like that, that fight was uh uh one of those moments that, like, it, it kind of pulled on the heartstrings again. Like, this guy, like he grew up right the street. So, like, all fight week, we're in Rio, and you see him. There were his families. There were his mother. There were his, uh, uh, his lady, his kids, everything else like that. And you see this guy really enjoying himself and doing that. And, like, um, seeing firsthand, like, uh like watching, like, the backstory of all this other stuff, or, like, where he's from and how he grew up all this other stuff, it starts pulling at the heartstrings a bit. And it's like, whoa, 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 I'm not going down this road again. Now, here I hear him. Be nice was Garcia I didn't pay off uh, or whatever I have a job to do I have to go out there and beat this man I get that we in his fa- in, in his backyard I get his family's here I get his kids in the crowd but I have a job to do I have to go out there and beat this guy um and the opportunity came for me to go out there and uh um find a way to finish the fight and I took full advantage of it I was able to take him down uh just to see his ground upon and give the TKO finish but um that was a a changeable for me or on on the growth mode like acknowledging what happened in the uh um fight with uh alex garcia and applying it right away with this guy where it's like all right there goes hard swings getting pulled again put those emotions aside and focus on the job you have to do and my job is to go out there and beat him and i was just like all right whatever it takes go out there and beat this guy uh in whatever fashion you can and end up in a TKO you are cardioed him you beat him in
1: your beat him like in his hometown, you know, obviously not an easy thing to do. At this point, it seemed like mentally, you you had made some adjustments. Who and you had also uh, given a few interviews talking about that. Who helped you change your your mind mentally in regards to where you're at fighting?
0: Um, the biggest thing was like that time I spent living with Nate. Like I remember when I, when I first moved there. Like I wasn't a uh, I wasn't very big into like. Uh, Christianity anything like that but I remember moving with Nate well, he, his family was real big on that kind of stuff and uh, at first I was like huh that's different I kind of like left it off of there or whatever but it wasn't until like I started like facing my own hardships whatever finding difficult moments where like I didn't know how things were going to play out so to speak I was just like man this is an uneasy feeling for me I don't know how um uh, how to like calm this like anxiety or nervousness that I'm feeling right now um and like seeing how calm he was throughout the the storms that he was going through as well I was just like huh maybe I should try what he's doing for a bit uh or whatever and like um for me relying on my faith has been like the biggest thing to help pull me through some of these uh uh circumstances I mean um like if I think of early on when when I uh was struggling to make ends meet throughout my first couple UFC fights or whatever like man how am I going to cover this I'm going to cover that or whatever like just having a faith that's going to work out and having faith that the guys will provide for uh my means or whatever and like and just focusing on the small tasks with my control made it a lot easier for me that I didn't have to worry about like all these bigger things that are out of my reach or out of my control so it's like all right the fight so I have to focus on everything else i deal with when I come back to it but right now because of what I believe, because of my faith, because of everything else, I can focus on this very small task at hand, which is the fight.
1: Hmm. You, your your fifth fight for the calendar year was in October, October twenty fifth. Did
0: you try to get a sixth then? Oh yeah, <laughs> I was definitely trying to get it. Like, <laughs> I think I ended up fighting January the following year or whatever. But I was really trying to push to go to get that sixth fight within that calendar year.
1: <laughs> Joe Silva wouldn't do it, huh?
0: No, this. Is- this is the time it didn't work out well enough, but like, he's like, yeah, the best I can do is gender. I'm like, oh come on, let's, let's push it back a month earlier. So like, I can do it. Let me do it. <laughs> that's awesome.
1: That's awesome. You, Neil, uh, you also, but let's talk about some of your former training partners, Dan Hornbuckle. You also yeah. shared some meds with them. Would you mind telling us your experience with them?
0: Right. I think it was great, man. Like, like I said, it was cool to meet these guys early on and see the love sense the sense they had, because like, um, that's what's first started. like, like creating that belief that I can be where these guys are and even take it further uh, or whatever. So uh, Dan Hol- Hornbuckle, Miguel Torres, all these guys, it's like, like wow. Like, and, and you get to see that it's like, it's nothing particular special that they do. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, Oh wow, this guy bleeds just like I bleed. this guy, trained just like I trained. Like there's nothing like that he does. It's like significantly different or better than what I'm doing or whatever. Um, man, let's just let you like believe that. Like, all right, cool. If he can do it, I can do it kind of thing. Because there's nothing like significantly Crazy or different about this individual than yourself, or whatever, Um, and that allows you to start like believing that you can be where they are, kind of thing. And uh, for me, that's all it took.
1: Yeah, just kind of how do you handle the situation? It's not the situation; it's how you handle it.
0: For sure. Yeah.
1: What about Usada? What what are your feelings in regards to that? And and I'm done.
0: Um. Yeah. So like that was a a long uh, sixty months figuring that part out or whatever. Um. When I have liked hey, my bad, we got it wrong kind of thing. Like, yeah, it would have been cool. But um, uh, the biggest thing for me was just, like, realizing that, like, uh, like, the system wasn't necessarily perfect, um, but them at least acknowledging and doing something to change it or whatever. Like, it was unfortunate that I had to miss 16 months of my career um, because of uh, a ruling. And then you saw the books and how things were written or whatever. And it took a while for, uh, for that to be changed or whatever. Um, but because I went through what I went through because as so much support from the, uh, uh, uh members of the MMA community and things like that, and that my character spoke so much about it. Um, these guys are waiting to like actually go through and look at their system and think like, wow, um, something's not right here. Let's look at how we do things and see what we can do to like make it more fair, more just for the fighters. Um, and go through what I did, uh, help change the rule set where, uh, fighters who are legitimately, um, uh, innocent and fall to, uh, and and fall victim of, like, contaminated substances or things that are outside their reach won't be penalized or punished for something that they had no idea and or control over. So uh, I was able to help add a common sense clause to the USADA rule setting where um, if there's a certain level of uh, contaminants that are found in a sample, um, the fighter won't be punished for it if it can be proven through science and and, and, uh, things like that. The fighter didn't get any significant, like, advantage. Um, There wasn't, like, any... It doesn't appear to be... uh, uh, the remnants of any kind of doping or anything like that, it doesn't appear to be um, anything that the fighter did intentionally, they won't get punished for it. They're just using common sense calls like, all right, cool. Based off the evidence that we received, this looks more like contamination than it does of someone purposely trying to uh, cheat the system. We're not gonna fault the fighter for that.
1: So, so in essence, Miguel, you know, for those at home, Neil test positive for a banned substance and it was a very high elevated level of it. And it's something that doesn't come out of your system your second, your, your other, your proximate urine sample, it's not in it and it wasn't enough time for it to leave your, your your body. And it's substance, that molecule that was in it is in the same soap that's in the bathroom where you took the
0: test. Am I yeah. correct? I no, mean- I mean, it's not that, it's not that, Symbol of it, like there was uh the, the part it was it was, it was, it was very trace amounts that was found in the sample. Uh, and then one of the things that worked in my favor was like that. Like, I was testing on a, on a Sunday, and for some reason, uh, you saw it was getting old, like, Hey, let's test on a Tuesday, too. Like, <laughs> you know I mean, so I was tested on a Tuesday again. So, like, because it was such a trace amount the first time, and I was tested prior to that, and uh uh we never go in a fight or whatever um because it was so close to what the samples were collected they are looking at it like huh it doesn't make sense um this particular substance that was appearing in there would be uh something that's found like a, a sarm or something like that and uh where i was at in training camp getting ready to lose weight to make weight that kind of thing it, it wasn't a substance that i would have been taking to help uh increase my body mass so if i was in camp, I should be doing the opposite of the type. So it's like all the evidence and all the, like, science around that has led them believe, like, hey, yeah, this doesn't look like anything that he was doing intentionally. It just has to be some kind of contamination. But the downside is, like, it's not a price in that situation. It was just uh, what was called the, uh, uh, what was it? Uh, Strip my big clause. Where if it's in your system, you're responsible for it. We don't care how it got there. We don't care what amount it is. It's there. You're you're liable for it. Uh, and that's how it was before. Before then, uh, but it wasn't to that situation. I was going through whatever else that were just like, wait, wait, wait. This doesn't seem right. Like we we can't even your opponent. Like even yeah. your opponent stuck up yeah. for you. Yeah, yeah, it was like this doesn't seem right. Dude. We we can't like uh fold the guy with something that's out of their control, like you know what I mean. It wasn't someone that's trying to like uh beat the system, treat the system, anything like that. Uh and to make it worse, I was literally at dinner one day you saw the scientists it was like, Yeah, man, when your you your Sabbath came through, it lit up like a Christmas tree, and we knew for a fact that it wasn't anything that you were doing wrong because no one even uses that that kind of stuff it's so easily detect detectable. And I'm just sitting there listening to this at dinner, like
2: wait a minute, you knew this was
0: BS going up, but you still, like, followed through on it? But, like, yeah, man, my, my hands were tied. Like, I had to go by what the book said. Um, so, like, going through the whole process that I went through, they were able to, like, actually address the issues that were um, at hand and see, like, all right, how can you make this more fair for the fighters? Um, not necessarily to, like, give them a, a great area to operate in, but more so, like, protect
2: the guys who are actually innocent um, and doing the things they need to do. Now, let, let me so, – so let me get this straight. So – this case you the laws got changed for you and or you know they made a, a
1: difference
2: stuff so you made a difference and, and what you got for it was a nice pat on the back right <laughs> long story short yeah because at the end of the day though you you know you suffered your 16 you you were healthy you know yeah. so, healthy in my so, prime 60 months non competing yeah and forget about the fact that you would have fought you know seven times <laughs>
1: you yeah was at least 25
2: fights. even two or three times you know 80 a check for 80 grand of compensation or something like that i don't know you know i don't know what the right number is but 16 months is a long time and painful for a guy who wants it like if a guy wants to hold out and you know negotiate more money or whatever you know they're making a decision on their own but that's completely taken away from you in your prime earning years you know what i mean so so you know a pat on the back is nice but you know, for them, real recognition. I don't think you've gotten. You know, so they should be at least out, out there more. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with you, but like, that's the hard part. Like, do I want to spend time figuring
0: out like uh who's right and how to get the conversation? Or it's like, man, that sucks, but I'm glad it's behind me now and I can move forward. Kind of thing. Like, I agree, but like, how long would it take for me to like go through and get that con- uh, conversation that I I would probably. Have earned or deserve kind of thing, and then uh, with that being said too, like with them admitting any kind of like faulting like that, that opened up the door for uh, prior athletes to come in and try to like use this as case law to like work in their favor as well. So like it's like a whole Pandora's box. This thing it opened up it was like, hey, hey, how come he got this and I didn't get this? I got this punishment as well. You know what I mean? So it's just even though it sucked for those 16 months unfortunately like it's behind me now but it's something that's uh, less likely to happen to fighters moving forward I mean um, so fast forward to Nate Diaz Nate Diaz was uh, uh, five weeks out from a fight uh, in a Massacre Garden against uh, he was in here to fight he was here to fight uh, BMF side he was in to fight Massacre um he tested positive for the same exact substance uh, similar to the amount but because that thing i had gone through months prior had finally gotten resolved the rules that was finally changed and put in place he was able to like hey yeah you get to go, there and go out there and do your thing, and you have to go out there and compete, so um, as fortunate as it was to miss out on that time, uh, the, the personal, all the other stuff, and the, and the setback that it caused, uh, I'm fortunate and, and glad at least that like, it's not like happening to other fighters and what happened to myself again either.
2: Yeah, so you're, you're absolutely right, because the bottom line is, is I make it look like you go to a window and they give you a check, and you're right, yeah. they're absolutely <laughs> going to make you, do- exactly. it's going to turn yeah. into an ugly dog fight, it's not worth your For time. Sure. Bro. Uh, it it might- think-
1: you know, you're, you're at their will as well. Neil no. you know, Magny, absolute pleasure. I mean, I I think the last time I saw you was at one of my events. I think you've been paid to get in, and I'm like, what are you doing here? <laughs> I, <know, laughs> I couldn't you a ticket. What are you, what are you doing here, Neil?
2: <laughs>
1: so I appreciate it, man. All the support you've given us in this region. Every time you step into the cage, you're representing, you know, all of us here. And uh, it certainly makes me proud to watch somebody – continue to get their hand raised on a big stage.
2: Oh, I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. Thank man, you, I feel the same way about someone from New York. <laughs> yeah, there <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Deep dive. is over. We got Neil Magny in the books. Bike Lights Out Podcast, trucking along here. Another fine interview, man. Neil, my hat's off to him. He's been through a lot, too. Huh? A lot of fun. Well, what I like to do, Miguel,
1: is find people that have either owed me like favors or people I've kind of communicated with and feel comfortable about getting them an interview and then failing to tell them how long it was going to be. And Neil absolutely fell into that category. You can kind of see it towards the end. He's like, are we going through every fight in my career? <laughs> so, I mean, we got
2: through what we wanted. We got through all, all of the ones we wanted. I mean, we don't, you know, it'd be good to prep with the people, but I, we have a bad, we go into them pretty, pretty unscripted because I mean, if you tell people we need two hours then we probably wouldn't get any damn interviews. (laughs) So anyway, um, but uh, he's a gentleman too, you know, he he stuck with us and he he came with with information and stuff. So I'm, I'm very happy, especially he's the generation after I used to promote and stuff like that. So you get a good feel for how things are evolving and changing. And I learned just as much from those podcasts as, as you know, as, as perhaps people learn from us in the older ones.
1: He, he's an absolute professional. And, like, he's genuinely a nice guy. Like, you meet Neil in public, like, it is just, there's, it's just genuine communication coming out of him. And the one thing that I applaud him for was that nice guy – that he, he is, he didn't let it get in the way of making decisions for his own career. He always put his career first. And, you know, he said, Hey, you know, I could have maybe handled it better with Fiori and, and Hit Squad, who, you know, we'll, we're going to be covering them again very soon in a, in a few interviews. But he, he even said, Yeah, I could have done it better. It didn't, you know, they sent a guy at me to beat me. I beat the guy. Didn't bother me at all. You know, I was a professional, went over a wrestling. I, I just, I, I admire a guy like Neil. You know, just kind of not let guy. things bother him that most people might freak out about.
2: Him. Yeah, I like it. He was candid. He's a good guy, not used to lying. So we got a very honest interview.
1: Yeah. So, ladies and gentlemen, Abu Dhabi Jiu Jitsu Pro, please sign up. Sign your team up too. It's a federation, it's free. Sign your team up at uh, ajptour.com. You can also register for the Chicago tournament which is September 24th, I will be hosting it. Um, Miguel, I think you've got something coming up with uh, Anthony Pettis.
2: Yeah, you can look for Anthony Pettis' uh, fighting championship coming out of Milwaukee on August 12th. Uh, I got to dabble in matchmaking again, got him a couple of guys uh, helping to fill out the card there and getting to play in the new you know, in a new environment here, the main fights are on Fight Pass. So, definitely getting to see some up and comers and young guys and, uh, you know, getting a, a, my feet wet in the sport again. So, I'm grateful to Anthony and, and Damien too for the opportunity. Thanks, guys.
1: Absolutely. So, like, share, subscribe. Ladies and gentlemen, we cannot do this without you guys at home helping us out. Um, the algorithms are brutal. And um, we, the only way we grow is if you help us. So, whether it's a comment, like, share, subscribe, If you want to leave a review on iTunes, that's also greatly appreciated. Vegan Higgler, you are kicking ass, buddy. Appreciate all your comments.
0: Check out the full interview on iTunes, Spotify, and all major podcast platforms.